The Posting Up podcast is sponsored by T. Rowe Price. Are you looking to learn a thing or two about getting your finances in order, saving, and investing? Check out The Confident Wallet, a personal finance podcast series by T. Rowe Price and the Washington Post Brand Studio. Coming soon to wherever you get your podcasts. Hello and welcome to Posting Up, the Washington Post NBA podcast. I'm your host, Tim Bontemps, National NBA writer for the Washington Post. Coming to you today with a fun podcast, breaking down calendar year 2017 in the NBA. ton of stuff happened this year. A bunch of star players got traded or, or signed with new teams in free agency. The Warriors won another championship. Fascinating draft class. Um, you got the, the whole Joel Embiid and Ben Simmons thing in Philadelphia. Uh, Chris S. Porzingis emerging in New York. Just just stuff all over the place. So wanted to get a bunch of voices from around the country who cover the league, both from a national level and a local level, uh, to try to break down some of the interesting things that's happened over the course of the last 12 months. So hopefully this will give you something to listen to as you travel around the country for the holidays. Um, I hope everybody had a good Christmas and a good holiday season. Hope everyone has a good new year. Um, but like I said, wanted to give everybody a chance to have something to listen to as they, they fly to, you know, fly home for visit the loved ones or, or flying out to do something on New Year's or whatever. So um, without further ado, let's let's jump into this and, uh, and get started, which should be a, fu- a fun ride through, uh, through 2017 and, and some looking ahead to 2018 as well. All right, first up is my good friend Brian Winhurst from ESPN.com. Uh, been a pretty fascinating year in the NBA, Brian, uh, in 2017. A lot of stuff has happened. Cavs uh, losing to the uh, Warriors again. Um, you know, lots of trades, lots of pretty crazy draft class. Uh, big year personally for Brian Winhurst, though, new uh, best selling author on the New York Times bestseller list. And. Uh, and father also so so pretty 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 eventful year uh, trust me i had to work a lot harder uh to become a, uh, an author than i did to become a father my wife uh, got <laughs> my wife did the heavy lifting so to speak in that one well i'm happy everything worked out well with that uh but but when in all seriousness when you look back on this this year 2017 uh from a work standpoint uh what what will stand out to you in when you think back on the nba well, I mean, you know, we, we all get bogged down in the day to day, but the the Warriors went sixteen and one in in the playoffs. It's the most dominating run since I've been covering the league, which is fifteen years, um, comparable to the Lakers, I guess, in uh, what was it, two thousand one, when they went uh, fifteen and one. Um, you know, they were ev- they were everything that we thought they were going to be when they signed Durant, and uh, I'm I'm kind of afraid that. Six months from now, they may go, you know, 16 and three or something like that when they win the title again. And, uh, you know, we're in the Warriors era right now. And um, I, I enjoy everything about them. I enjoy the way they play, uh, the joy in which they play. I enjoy their style. I enjoy their fans. I enjoy their arena. I enjoy, you know, just the personalities on the team. I wish Kevin Durant wouldn't. Um, whine so much uh you know trying to get validation he's already been validated um you know i 
uh, they're just a really admirable franchise and an admirable situation. And we could end up, you know, be talking about this run, this four or five year run for a long time. 25 years from now, we could be like, well, is this team here is the, uh, you know, are the Mexico City uh, Aztecs, are they as good as the Warriors were back, you know, doing some hypothetical bogus stuff and you know is uh you know whatever their point guard is as good as curry who would win in a game between the 2017 warriors and the 2000 you know 37 aztecs or something like that um you're making I the nba think, really happy with all these these future <laughs> talks about a dominant mexico city team i'll tell you that much. yeah yeah so um you know i just i, I i'm fully my eyes are are wide open on uh, just how good the warriors are i don't know if i've ever seen better basketball and now, you know, in this season, I know we're talking about in the past, but as we sit here at the end of 2017, they're the number one offense and number one defensive team. I mean, again, even though they've had injuries, they've had more injuries this year um, early in the season than they did last year. So um, that to me is what I think about. But yes, we had another, um, you know, we're in an era also of historic uh, star movement with Chris Paul moving, with uh, uh, Kyrie Irving moving, with, uh, I don't know if Gordon Hayward qualifies, but certainly it was a big, you know, it was a major free agent move. Um, you know, we're seeing stars, you know, move around like we've never seen before in this five or six year period. And um, Carmelo Anthony, uh, I forgot about that one, Paul George, um, you know, that's huge. I mean, you know, those major moves, um, major transactions, I mean, all of that stuff, We've never seen a summer like this. We've never seen. I've never seen a team like the Warriors. I've never seen a summer to follow. So, um, and next summer, you have uh, LeBron, Chris Paul, Carmelo, and Paul George all have the uh, DeAndre Jordan all have the opportunity to be free agents. I don't know if they all will be, but um, uh, De- uh, DeMarcus Cousins. We could see another reshaping of the league around that. Uh, so, we're in a pretty high interest, high, um, uh, you know volatile time in terms of the league which i think is drives excitement but at the end of the day the the team at the top is his head and shoulders above everybody else and what all this stuff is all this movement and stuff is trying to accomplish is nobody's getting any closer to um you know what they're trying to do yeah i mean when you consider that golden state has won 13 out of 14 with steph curry and kevin and draymond green both missing large chunks of that run uh you know it does does kind of underscore the uh the gap between them and everybody else yeah, I mean, at the end of like, <laughs> I, I, you know, I, you know, there's all this analysis that you know we do, and you know, we have to. It's our jobs, and and we need, we want the fans, you know, in ten or fifteen cities to be really engaged. You're never going to have all thirty, but you you really want all those teams to be sure. engaged. And you know, we, you know, we break down the Celtics, and we, you know, we we write stories about the Cavs and what's going on with the Raptors' new offense, and why? How about this, Chris Paul? Uh, uh, you know, James Harden um, duo. And, and what about Lonzo Ball? But at the end of the day, the team at the top is like so much better than all of them. It's kind of like, what are we doing here? We're just we're just sort of, um, you know, whistling, uh, you know, and killing time until they they get the trophy again. Um, but at the same time, you know, basketball's, uh, you know, very uh, fragile. You know, uh, Steph Curry, if he misses – if he has an ankle injury that costs him 10 games in May, could have a different outcome than missing 10 games in December. All it took, all it took was Zaza Pachulia's uh, head being about a half an inch higher up Kevin Durant's leg, and he might have been out for the entire season, and things could have been very different six months ago. That's true. You know, like That's a true. Lot. Doesn't, doesn't take much. To go back a little bit, I, I think that Gordon Hayward 
is just as important as those other guys because to me, one of the long-term things that I think 2017 uh, is going to show is that um, the new CBA and uh, which was ratified in which came into effect in July and just the way the league is trending is that it's going it's harder than ever for small market teams to remain uh, relevant and good. I mean, you look at the last two summers. You had, or even the last three summers, you look, LaMarcus Aldridge left Portland to go to San Antonio. Again, not a huge market, but still, you know, a, a small market team losing a star. Last summer, Kevin Durant obviously goes from Oklahoma City to Golden State, even though the situation there was a little unique given the cap spike. And then this summer, Gordon Hayward leaves a, a pretty darn good Utah team to go to Boston. And I think the way the league is set up now with the shorter contracts, with, um, with players having more uh, personal power than ever before, uh, with the with the agency to you know kind of decide how they want to move their careers forward in ways they never had before, I think it's going to be harder and harder for these small market teams to truly compete um, and, and keep their guys long term. Uh, it's it's going to be I think that that over the next couple of years to me is going to be one of the real fascinating uh, subplots to watch play out as as the league continues to evolve. Yeah, the CBA was supposed to give protections to small market teams by giving the Supermax contract. Um, but we've seen teams not be so interested in keeping players for the Supermax. Saw Sacramento um, literally trade DeMarcus Cousins just because they didn't want to pay him the Supermax contract. Right, exactly. And um, it wasn't able to keep Paul George. It wasn't, you know, Paul George, for various reasons, wasn't able to qualify. And um, uh, he, gave up, um, he gave up his interest in, in staying there. So it didn't protect the Pacers, and it didn't entice the uh, the Kings. And so, you know, we'll see. There, there's going to be more tests to that. Uh, I think I think one of the guys, you know, a lot of people are looking at um, uh, looking at Anthony Davis, and that's certainly a guy who would be a test to that. But, you know, he's under contract for three more seasons after this one. Um, but like Damian Lillard, for example, you know, um, you know, will Portland be able to keep him long term? You know, um, and, you know, these are, you know, these are things that, you know, I don't know. Um, uh the uh, some of these young guys also that are uh, signed that are you know sort of on their rookie contracts now um, are they going to take the five year maxes or are they going to do what the, uh, some of the other players did and only take three years and and position themselves? And if to, you take uh, three years, you can't get the super max at any point. That's right. That's right. Like you know that it, it, it would be more important to them to have flexibility than to uh, to go for the super max. So I don't know. These are all things we're going to find out, but I. Um, I also think the league is in a, you know, there's a, I think just in general in basketball, we're going to see some changes as a result of the FBI investigation, um, because I think that's going to spur some changes to the one and done rule. And that could change uh, certain things in the league. Um, so there, the league, you know, we'll, we'll be keeping an eye on stuff for sure. There's always these tweaks, but ultimately at the end of the day, um, the, the, the warriors were able to slip through uh, sort of a crack in um that enabled them to be uh, the best team or the second best team in the league and sign the best free agent. We, you know, there's all these rules now to prevent that from happening, but the Warriors were able to slip in sort of uh, in this little donut hole that was created by circumstances and it's potentially set them up to be the dominating team for five to seven years. Yeah, it is. It and, is, it is uh, really incredible. Yeah. And, and the new CBA, while it will cost the Warriors a lot of money, um, there's nothing that can force them to be broken up other than injuries or money or, or you know, egos. Yeah, no, it's definitely, it's definitely true. And that, that you know, that it, it, both in 2018, you know, this summer, do, you know, and beyond, it will be interesting to see if the Warriors do just 
commit to paying a big tax bill or if they do look to maybe move a Clay Thompson or a Draymond Green or somebody to to try to lessen that. That's one of the things this summer that's going to be uh, that's going to be interesting. One other thing that you didn't bring up that you have written more about than I think anybody is the potential for and I, I think the likelihood for by the start of next season uh, legalized gambling in in America and and specifically. You know, with the NBA, there's a lawsuit that has been filed, or I guess a court case. I don't know if it's technically a lawsuit, but um, the Supreme Court is hearing a case about legalizing gambling. Uh, what, what's the official title? New Jersey versus the government? Is that what it is? It's uh, it's Chris Christie versus NCAA, but that's a uh, you know a, a simplified uh, situation. It's the NCAA, NBA, Major League Baseball, NFL, NHL, and NCAA. Right. And there's a whole bunch of other. Uh, defendants besides Chris Christie, the governor of New Jersey, but it's essentially New Jersey versus um, the pro sports leagues. And, and, and um, you and you and you're pretty. And you, I mean, you've written a lot about this, but you're you're pretty confident that by this time next year, we're going to be able to bet on games, right? At least in New Jersey, you know, basically, I think New Jersey is going to get the result that they want, and New Jersey will become like Las Vegas, where you can bet. Um, at sporting, at, at uh, casinos, at racetracks, and potentially even on your phone. Um, you know that you know as long as you're in the state of New Jersey, um, you can you know make a, a bet. Now, anybody will tell you you can make bets on your phone right now from anywhere <laughs> right, in the country. Right, right. It's just it's just illegal. And um, now it won't be. And and a little bit more complicated. And that's one of the reasons why this is going to change. But I think over the next two or three years, we could see this becoming. Um, a lot more widespread, not only because other states would potentially follow New Jersey, but um, the federal government may want to get their hands on this money. Um, and what I think you'll end up seeing is casino and gaming being more in front of you when you watch pro sporting events, um, like it is when you watch uh, soccer internationally. Yep. Uh, that's the way it is there. And so, um, and that I think potentially brings a whole other way to look at the league. You know, if you, if, if betting is going to become more ubiquitous, um, uh, the way daily fantasy sort of was a couple years ago, if it's going to become more ubiquitous, it's become it's going to become more part of the way people consume the games, and people aren't going to just watch the games anymore uh, just because they love Steph Curry. They're going to watch the games because they've got a wager on it, and and with the the way you can bet within games now, such as how many points will Steph Curry score in the fourth quarter? Yep. Who will take the last shot? You know, who's going to, um, uh, I don't know, you know, over-unders for individual quarters. You know, these things that where you can continue to make bets in real time as, as it goes along, you'll be actually presented with um, a whole, you know, fleet of bets every single time out um, in an NBA game. Um, I think it's actually going to spur growth in interest in the league. Oh, I agree. Um, I think I think if you look at the NFL, a big reason why football has been the dominant sport and why it remains it even with all the issues it has is because of the gambling component. It's an easy sport to gamble on. And if you have live betting in particular, basketball is a perfect sport for live betting. And people like I have friends who are all over that kind of stuff. And the, the, if that if that becomes something that could be widespread and more people are able to access without worrying about, you know, having to try to get some, you know, account in the, on some, you know, Cayman Islands gambling account. I mean, that, that I think has got to change. Yeah, people are doing this now. It's not like it's unheard. It's, I mean, people are doing sure. this now. This, it would just be way more in the open and way more accessible and, and way more feasible. The average person um, would easily be able to find it instead of having to be a motivated person to go seek it out. 
Right. And if you if you combine social media with betting, in other words, you share how you're doing, what you've got your bets on with your friends and stuff, I think it only increases it. And it's one of the reasons why a terrible Thursday night NFL game still gets three or four times a great NFL or a great Thursday night NBA game, although that gap is shrinking. Yep. Um, uh, you know, I was just reading um, today that, you know, it's, uh, Sunday night NFL's ratings were really down this year, like 15%. Yep. Um, and obviously Monday Night Football, which we show on ESPN, had the slowest total viewers that it's that we've ever had since we took over. Well, that's why there's plenty um, of talk about ESPN potentially getting out of the Monday Night Football game in a couple of years. Um, but but even with those ratings being down, like the Sunday Night Football was 30 or 40% higher than anything else. Right. So, so I mean, yes, it's losing ground but it's still so much larger that you know the nba is is making up ground on the nfl but it's it's like you know it's in in a hundred yard dash it's still like 40 yards behind it's just it was previously 45 yards behind you know so it's making up ground but you know the nfl is still a behemoth but one of the reasons why a thursday night game will get 12 million viewers and a thursday night nba game will get six million or four million viewers and everybody's excited when they when you get four million viewers is because there's so much more involved than just watching oh it's a chiefs dolphins game yep and that's what the nba that's why the nba has been so way out front um the other leagues are totally either sitting on the fence or sitting on the sidelines with gambling and the nba is um uh, you know, in the starting gate, ready to go. And that's why the I NBA has reconstituted its schedule this year, too, to go by weeks to try to promote fantasy sports, too. Even though that's not uh, going to ever be the same as fantasy football. It's, it's part of why they're doing that, too. I also feel like the NBA um, is, you know... You know, we're, we're going to have a whole new world with injuries. You know, you know, injuries in football are so much more transparent because uh, for gambling purposes, well, over the last few years, the NBA has sort of been moving to they make injuries more and more opaque. Um, more and more guys, you know, get injured and they're ruled out indefinitely. Um, I just yeah. saw this with, with yeah, that's I saw not going to be the with, case. I just saw this with Jeff Teague. Um, it was like um, Jeff Teague is out indefinitely. Right. Like, updates. Sprain- updates will be provided. Right. Right. I was like, I was like, he got a he got a sprained knee. You know, you know, he'll be out a month. Right. You know, right. Uh, you know, uh, so um, <laughs> he's got some injury we've never heard of before. Right. You know, not a scapular uh, imbalance, like a certain number one overall pick, <laughs> whatever that is. That's a different story. <laughs> but, you know, it's just like, you know, they're they're purposely being vague with their um, injury reports. And that those days are going to be coming to an end. Right. Um, we will know who practiced and how limited they practice because this stuff's going to be way more. Um, it's going to be way more money involved. Yeah, no, I, I think you're. I think you're totally right. Now let let's transition to the team. You you uh, even though you are obviously a national guy, you you're obviously follow the Cavs as close as anybody. Um, what what is the biggest takeaway from you from from 2017? Is it as obvious as the the Kyrie Irving trade, or is it is it something else involving that team? Well, I mean, I think again if if you allow me to go to like the 30,000 foot view well that's the whole the point war- we're doing the, the year the, interview the warriors lost to the cavs in 2016 and they added kevin durant the cavs lost to the warriors in 2017 and they lost kyrie irving <laughs> yeah and you know it, it's it, it's not an apples to apples thing it's not like you, it's not like oh well um so and so was available you know but um you know, their reaction to the to the to the finals defeat was a little bit different than the Warriors. Well, and firing their you know essentially firing their front office too. 
Yes, and that's the thing, like, if there's a book written on the Cavs, and if there is, it probably will be me to write it in two years. Another another um, book, you should say. Like, yeah, if I write a book about how the Cavs lost LeBron again, um, it really is going to come down to me, the decision or the inability to not retain David Griffin, because the Cavs were working on trades that would have gotten them Paul George and also kept um, kept Kyrie Irving. Uh, there was also trades that they had that would have traded Kyrie Irving, but they were working on trades and they were not able to execute them. And maybe if Red Auerbach was sitting in the chair, they wouldn't have been able to execute them. Um, maybe it just, it just couldn't happen. Um, but we'll never know what would have happened if David Griffin had still been there. Could he have executed uh, the trade that could have gotten them Paul George? Because while Paul George isn't Kevin Durant, had the Cavs been able to get He's Paul pretty George damn there, close, though. He's about as close as you're going to get. And it would have it would have cost him Kevin Love, but um, you know that would have been such an addition. That would have been a true response to having just been beaten four one in the finals, and uh, and a real motivation to keep both George and LeBron after this season. Um, and the other thing is, David Griffin has a, had a great relationship with Kyrie Irving and had put out many many fires with Kyrie and other players over the years. If if David Griffin had still been sitting in the chair, would Kyrie have demanded a trade? I mean, when Kyrie went in and demanded a trade, um, you know, Kobe Altman was the interim general manager, and Kyrie didn't even meet with him. He just met straight with Dan Gilbert. Right. Um, you know, you know, I don't know. I mean, maybe if Kyrie was sitting here talking to us, he would say, no, it wouldn't have mattered. But maybe the Cavs wouldn't have been pressured to have to trade their second-best player had David Griffin still been there. So that... Inability, and I, and I, I want to say decision, but it, it was more complex than just yay or nay. But the inability to retain the general manager who built you a championship team, who had a lot of support within the organization, potentially could be a franchise-altering situation for the Cavs. So um, as we sit here and look at, you know, go back, well, we'll see how Isaiah fits in. What do they do with that Brooklyn pick? Do they trade it? Do they keep it? Um, you know, what have you. I mean, those are all things that for sure we will talk about and analyze, but um, that was a pretty big moment when David Griffin walked away from a team that had been in the final. The, the guy had been a general manager for three years. He'd been to the finals three times and, and won a championship, but I know it was because he had LeBron. I mean, and he would be the first to admit that, but he also did a hell of a lot of good work in there too. Yeah, no, it's certainly, uh, it, it's, it's certainly, uh, a fascinating what if, right? I mean, and if and if LeBron does leave next summer or this coming summer, I mean, or if he leaves next summer, uh, that 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 kind of six week stretch where you know they were in flux after the finals and they they let you know uh, David Griffin go and Trent Redden left too, and then uh, you know they kind of decided they were going to trade Kyrie and then eventually did. I guess it's a two month stretch going into August. I mean that that could really be the inflection point. That is that is the reason why. Because you're right, if you go back and re-engineer things and, and the, the Cavs end up with Paul George instead and you have Kyrie Irving and then Paul George to throw on LeBron or on uh, Kevin Durant and then you have LeBron playing free safety, uh, you know, that's a team that that might be able to even go toe-to-toe with the Warriors now, you know, in ways that nobody else really can. Yeah, and also it's, it's also about, um, uh, you know, just, you know, trying to keep LeBron. You know, if you were able to sort of refresh the team by getting Paul George in there, um, it is an, it, it gives you an opportunity to, to to trade LeBron. And then even if Kyrie still wanted to be traded, I mean, heck, even if they had had to trade Kyrie for Paul George, I think they'd have been in, been in a better stead 
than, than if they had had to, um, than, you know, than, than, than the way it happened. So it's just, it's just like, you know, a major what if, uh, a really a major what if. And there are certain people that believe that there's no way that the, um, that the Pacers really wanted to trade Paul George within the division and that their talks with the Cavs were just sort of cursory. And maybe that's true. Uh, you know, a couple of people who know that certainly aren't saying that. But we'll, we'll just one thing I, once I, one thing I can say with absolute certainty is we'll never know what would have happened if Griff was still, was still there. Yeah, no, I think that's totally true. Now let, let's, let's, let's move this forward a little bit since, uh, you know, a part of looking back is also looking ahead. And, uh, you know, it's going to be a pretty fascinating six months for the Cavs. I, I mean, you and I have kind of been on the same, um, the same island for a while. You know, back even at the beginning of the year when the Cavs were struggling, that they were going to be just fine and end up being back in the finals again. And I think the last six weeks or so have pretty easily vindicated that, especially with Isaiah Thomas around the corner from coming back. But um, as, as you look forward over the next six months, and to the obvious question of what what LeBron might do this summer, um, how do you handicap? his free agency situation, and what do you think will be the um, defining factors that determine what he decides to do? The most important thing will be how the Cavs finish the season. Um, it, you know, do they finish the season losing 4-1 in the finals? Do they finish the season losing and getting upset by the Celtics in the conference finals? Um, do they lose in seven games where, you know, Steph, score, Steph Curry scores 52 points in game seven in overtime and hits three threes in overtime with three guys on him and the Cavs are a whisker away from winning. You know, I mean, these are all things we don't know. Um, do the Cavs pull off a major trade at, in February and all of a sudden upgrade their defense and become a, a team that looks a lot more formidable? I and mean, these are things we don't have the answers to. Does, is, you know, do they make a trade that doesn't work? Do they not do anything? And, and, and LeBron is frustrated that they didn't cash in the pick. Um, do they win the lottery? with that pick and get in position to select uh, or trade for a major uh, player. I mean, these are all things that are, um, are unknowns that, that we just don't know the answer to. What I know is this, is that, um, you know, the last couple of times LeBron's been a free agent, he hadn't even talked to other teams. Um, he just re-signed with the Cavs. You know, there was no negotiation. One time he waited until, like, the, the contract he's on right now, I think he signed it in August. Yeah, it took it was several just, weeks was, to, get, to get done for sure. It was like, hey, I'm going on vacation. I'll call you and let you know what the contract terms will be, and you'll send me the paperwork, and I'll sign it. That was how it went. I don't think that's going to be the case this time. I think LeBron um, will be interested in hearing pitches from other teams, and there's other teams that are getting ready to make those pitches. So um, that's you know the, the two times LeBron has you know sort of been in play as a free agent. Uh, 2010 and 2014, he moved. So, you know, there's a possibility he could be in play. And that's just um, that's the reality of the Cavs situation. And, you know, from the the moment they made that Isaiah trade, I knew they were facing um, potentially uh, a huge decision with that draft pick. I just knew it from the moment it happened. I was like, oh, boy, they've they've backed themselves into a corner here. Um, And, um, you know, here, you know, we'll see how how that uh plays out you know in the coming weeks yeah that that is going to be one of the real subplots i mean the, the the thing that might i think work out in cleveland's favor is that i don't really see a guy that's going to be available for them to trade for uh if if the if the pellet like the guy that's always been rumored to go there is demarcus cousins right he's kind of sitting there he's a star player he would give you a dynamic that uh golden state probably can't really deal with which is a, a bruising center who can 
do kind of anything he wants with the ball um, and potentially really give the cab give the give the Warriors some problems. But if New Orleans is anywhere near the playoff race, I think you agree with me that there's no way a, a team with a front office and a coach that wants to keep their job is going to move him. Um, so at that point, look around. Like who who is going to shake free that would be um, a potential option for that? I really I really don't think there's going to be anybody. Right. So in that situation, you know, there isn't as much pressure, you know, uh, but we also don't know who might be available. You know, it's, yep. a lot of things could happen. Uh, but you're right. If if there's no like a Paul George, you know, Paul George type player is not available where the Cavs don't have a tough ch- choice. It, it does. It does. It, at least it kicks the ball down the field a little bit because then it becomes another issue come come June when you know lebron may be looking around um and they have the they'll know where the the pick falls and will there be pressure to make a deal then yep now do you agree with me that that the 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 biggest thing that's going to be a factor for lebron uh this summer will be where he has the best chance to beat golden state among his available options you know it's hard for me to say it's a great question i mean do i honestly think that lebron um has it within him to um, to go play at you know in Philadelphia, for example? You know, can he for his legacy? Can he say to I'm going to go play in Philadelphia? Um, I don't know. I guess uh, I guess more what I mean by that is is that like when people bring up the idea of him going to a team like the Lakers, right? Do you do you see him going to a situation where when he walks in the next season, no one thinks he has a chance to beat them? Yeah, I think I think there's two things I'll say about it. Number one, when you when you look at the two times LeBron has switched teams, there's been a sitting a sitting superstar there and another superstar coming along. Dwayne Wade was in Miami. Chris Bosh came. Uh, Kyrie Irving was in Cleveland, and, um, Kevin, and Love Kevin Love came. came shortly thereafter. Now LeBron will tell you that he didn't come to Cleveland to play with Kyrie. That he came to Cleveland to play at home, and Kyrie just happened to be there. Sure. Sure. I will roll my eyes at that. But, but <laughs> he wasn't going you know, to play for Cleveland if they had you know, a bunch of garbage on the roster. In, in fairness, you know Kyrie was there. So if you're a team that's looking to get LeBron, you either better have a star and have an idea of how to get another star, or you better have two stars or whatever, because um, you know he has sort of made it clear he is not going to be the first piece in a championship roster. He's maybe he won't be the last piece, but he ain't going to be the first piece. Um, and I think if you look at, you know, the Lakers right now, you know, he would be the first piece. <laughs> um, right. You know, there, there are people that have uh, definitive beliefs on some of their players, but, you know, he would be the first piece. Yeah, it's hard. To, I guess I guess I guess you would agree with me then that it like the way I guess I should phrase it is that I don't see him taking a leap of faith in free agency. To me, he's going if he's going somewhere besides Cleveland. It's because he thinks there's a legit. He's got a legit shot, and if that's the Lakers can get Paul George and make a trade for a superstar, another guy like you said, or you know whether he goes to Houston or whatever or Phil, whatever the situation is. To me, that is how people should be looking at it. Not like here's a guy that's going to go like start being in Hollywood and isn't like necessarily worried about competing uh, at the highest level next season. I mean, to me, I, I think that I think that that should be the first thing that people look at is where he has the best chance to win. That, that, that's right. Uh, like, you know, just because he can make movies or whatever, I do not believe that that is uh, a priority. Right. No, I, I would, uh, I would agree with that. Now, um, one more thing before we, before we sign off here, you, you also follow the thunder pretty closely. And I was just curious, 
Um, there's been a lot. You, you mentioned the, the Paul George trades before. There's been a lot of, uh, I think, revisionist history about uh, both trades that, that Sam Presti made, making the, the Paul George trade, making the Carmelo Anthony trade. Really, really probably to me, even with all the other movement, the pretty defining year, a lot of the defining moments of this year outside of, of Golden State were in Oklahoma City with the way Russell Westbrook kind of single-handedly took charge of the league in the first half of it. And then, you know, those trades to get Paul George and Carmelo and then the, the kind of in, enduring intrigue about this team after them. But as you look at them, as they kind of, you know, turn into the new year, playing really well, um, where, do you, where do you kind of stand on, on that, that franchise and how, how the last six months have played out for them? I love the Paul George trade. I know that Oladipo is playing really well, um, but Paul George is a better player. Um, and um, uh, I'll just say this: Paul uh, Victor, uh, the the guy guarding the best wing player on the other team every night for the Pacers is Boyan Bogdanovich. It's not Victor Oladipo. Paul George is guarding the best player on the other team pretty much every and night, le- and leading the league in steals for yes. the top five. Defense. Might might be the defensive player of the year. And um, you know. Westbrook resigned, which was a huge fear of theirs. I mean, even if Paul George walks on them, they will have Westbrook locked down. I didn't like the Carmelo trade as much. See, I think Inez Cantor is a is a usable player. <laughs> um, I've had I've had many fights with you about this. Um, <laughs> I, I I I don't. <laughs> I think. Listen, I, just, I I will be clear. I think he is usable over the course of eighty two games, as he's showing with the Knicks. And you could play him against certain lineups, and he could be effective. I just think when you get into the playoffs, he is unusable. Okay, that may be true. I don't disagree, necessarily disagree with you there. Although he and uh, Stephen Adams put the put the fear into uh, Golden State two years ago. Well, um, for a minute, and then by the end of that series, he was not playing at all. Okay, but it was three one. It was three one. Um, I'm just saying, like people viewed that people viewed Carmelo. Uh, as a sat, that was like a salary dump, and I just I never saw it that way. And you can back me up that I no, one hundred percent. This is not this is not a revisionist take by my man Windhorse for sure. But I I didn't love the Carmelo trade. Uh, I just didn't love it. I, I just didn't see how that necessarily helped them. I felt like they needed um, wing defenders and three point shooters to deal with Golden State, and I don't see how Carmelo really advances the ball forward now. Um, you know, they may end up being the number four seed, and, you know, we'll see. Uh, they are not one of the three best teams in the West. Um, it's possible they could get a matchup in the second round. I'll tell you what, I really like them against Houston. Yes, yeah, so they, they could get a matchup that, that may work out for them, but th- they are not better than Houston, I don't think. Um, but, um, th- th- you know, th- th- there could be certain things that could play out that could benefit them. But, uh they're not touching the big boys out west. No, I, I, I think I think you're right too. Though then again, I like you said at the beginning, I don't think anybody is. And, and since we've kind of touched around him, but not actually discussed him, what have, what have you thought of Kyrie in Boston? Um, Kyrie is in Boston is kind of uh, just an upgrade on of Isaiah in Boston. Um, you know, Isaiah was one of the uh, best offensive players in the league and one of the one of the um, worst defensive players. And it limited what Boston was able to do. And they had to protect him at one end and create for him at the other. Um, and because they've added Jason Tatum and because they've 
because Kyrie doesn't require as much help offensively, and he's a he's a he's a he's a more individual creator, um, uh, and because you know they're they're playing two dynamic wing players in. Um, in Tatum and Jalen Brown, they've become a much better defensive team. But Kyrie still ranks. I looked at this today. He ranks eight, number eighty-three out of ninety-three guards in uh, defensive RPM. He's 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 not quite as bad defensively as Isaiah was. He's a little bit better, um, and he's a little bit better offensively. And so that's an upgrade. Um, and they have awesome coaching, and they have terrific depth. Uh, they are missing a a great two-way wing player. To me, missing their best player. That's what I would say. That's interesting. It's an interesting debate. We'll have to see how that plays out over the next year. Well, we have to um, see how he comes back now from his health situation, obviously. Yeah, when I look at at Boston, I see a team that is absolutely amazing in close game situations because they have a great coach and they can play terrific uh, situational half-court defense. And it's one of the reasons why they win so many close games. But then I say, boy, they're in a lot of close games, you know, and they're in a lot of close games because they have some flaws at the highest level that they're going to have difficulty. They with. They also so, feel like a team that has no second gear either. Like most teams play in the regular season are probably 75, 80 percent. And when they get to the playoffs, they play at 100 percent. That's a great point. And the Celtics, are at, the Celtics are at 99 percent now. Yeah. And if and if the, if they got into a series with the Cavs where there were six games decided in the last minute, I would have to say, boy. I think, the, I think the Celtics would, would, would maybe win that. But the problem is that when Cleveland's playing its best, the games won't be decided in the last minute, as we saw in the, in the playoffs last year. Yes. So, um, uh, but I could be wrong. But I, I, I just I, – I, the, I see them as a team that doesn't have a great margin for error. I think incredibly disciplined team, especially defensively, um, extraordinarily well coached. I mean, just some of the stuff that Brad Stevens does. I mean, he ran a set in this game against Houston – you know, they're down three points, and he runs this set for Jason Tatum. And the set is so ingenious because not only does it does it bait the Rockets into defending uh, Kyrie uh, and uses a absolute decoy move to free Tatum for a layup, but the design of the play enabled the Celtics to, to immediately be in defensive press situation, and they end up getting an offensive foul. Now, very easily they could have still inbounded the ball, and um, you know Harden could have got up the court and got fouled, and Houston could have won. But the design of the play was so ingenious on like five levels, and that's and they executed it. I mean, you can have great design, and then your team, you know, Kyrie Irving decides to blow blow off the play. I mean, that that happens with the Cavs all the time. You know, just ask uh, David Blatt. But um, uh, just. They are so good in those situations, but they're in, they're just in too many of them. Yeah, no, I, I agree with you on that. So so let's wrap up with a couple of predictions since you love predictions. Uh, I assume you think the Warriors and Cavs play in the finals and the Warriors win? Yes. Who plays each of them in the conference finals? Uh, Boston, Houston. Uh, but that's, re- that's really uh, to stick in my neck out, isn't it? Yeah, well, I mean, that's. I think it's also... You know, at this point, I think it's the, probably the reasonable outcome in both cases. But uh, I, I think both playoffs are going to be very interesting for that second spot because I don't, I don't feel super great about either Houston or I Boston. So. I hope there's upsets. Yeah, I think, I think there's going to be, I think there's going to be some intrigue. Uh, do, do, uh, does Philadelphia make the playoffs? Boy, man, I mean, Embiid's out like every other day. I think, He's not, I think no. I mean, they are so um, different when he plays. 
And not only that, Fultz is not making – if he's making progress, it's incremental. So, um, anyway. I think no. They're, they're going off a cliff, and I think his health is only going to get worse, not, uh, not better as the season goes on. They're already three games out of a playoff spot uh, behind, behind uh, you know, even behind teams like Miami who have struggled. Uh, Miami is really, really banged up. You, you have to figure they would play better in the second half. Right. They've already, yeah, you would think so, you know, and, and so I, I just, I just don't, I just personally don't, uh, I personally don't see it. Well, uh, do you, is, do you think LeBron is, would you say as of now, LeBron is back in Cleveland next season? Um, I think it's, I would say like 5150, like you're 5149, like a, I, I, I would say that I would predict he would be back, but not by like a super overwhelming margin. Like it could still go either way. Right. I, I think that's where I'm at. Where does Paul George stay in Oklahoma City? That's a great question. I mean, um, I think he does because I think they're going to be pretty good. Uh, you know, I, I think the concept of being the man in Los Angeles is going to be really attractive. But remember, these guys could take one year contracts. No, no one, no one says that they have to. Um, when there are lots of really, really, really good players who are going to be free agents in a year. Clay yeah, Thompson, uh, Kawhi Leonard, Jimmy Butler. Uh, there, there's a lot of guys that that are going to potentially be on the market. So yeah, um, Kyrie Irving. That's right. Kyrie will be a free agent. I forgot about him. That's right. Yeah. So, um, like. I wouldn't necessarily just assume everybody's going to just go, all right, I'm ready to go. I'll sign my five-year deal. There could be one-year deals. I mean, these guys, the money is so big now, and a lot of these guys, it's going to be their second or third max contract. In LeBron's case, it's like his fourth, um, that they may have some flexibility in, in, in rolling the dice a little bit, or not. If, if a guy who's got injury issues, you know, he may um, sign it up. You know, he may be like, oh, I'm, I'm not going to take that chance. But, um, you know, you never know. Yeah, no, it's uh, it's 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 all going to be very uh, it's all going to be very interesting. So, all right, man, thank you for uh, thank you for doing this. I appreciate it, and uh, I'm looking forward to seeing you hopefully in a couple weeks in Cleveland for Warriors Cavs. But in the meantime, uh, let people know uh, where they can find you and if you've got anything uh, coming up here now that we're moving into the new year. That's such a radio show thing to say. Where can we where can we find your work, Brian? Uh, <laughs> just trying to just trying to let you pump yourself up, buddy. I should have known better than to think you'd actually want to. So yeah, no, uh, you can find my work at ESPN, all platforms. There you go. Very, as always, very effusive in uh, personal praise. So, uh, all right, but thanks, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it, and uh, enjoy enjoy your time at home, and in, enjoy the new year. All right, take care. All right, next up, Anthony Slater from The Athletic. Excellent writer covering the Golden State Warriors. Uh, Anthony, thanks for doing this, man. I appreciate it. Been uh, 2017 in many ways has been the year of the dubs, like 2016, like 2015. Uh, like you know, the, 2018, probably. Like 2018, probably. I mean, the NBA really uh, the NBA really does revolve around Golden State now. Um you know, been been you know this you know start of your second season out here. Kevin Durant comes here, wins the championship, wins MVP. Um, you know, the Warriors had the wins Finals MVP, right? Uh, the Warriors had you know plenty of other stuff going on with them. When you look back at 2017 and the Warriors and their place in the NBA, what what are your biggest takeaways from from the last 12 months for this organization? 
that it all kind of worked with Durant. Not that like anyone was maybe questioning it, but they, there was minor little lulls. You remember if you go back to that first season where um, that right before Christmas, Steph had a really bad December leading up to that Christmas game in Cleveland, and then uh, Steph was bad in the Christmas game. He kind of got benched at the end defensively yeah. and was very unaggressive. Uh, and then suddenly, you know, it seemed like every time they had a bad loss, you know, in their Durant's first season with the Warriors it always kind of turned into a turning point where it was like, okay, Steph Curry, it's time to give him the ball more in pick and rolls and tell him to ramp up his aggression. He did. That was better. Then there was that moment against Memphis at home where Draymond Green yelled at Kevin Durant because Kevin Durant, you know, cleared the floor and ISO'd himself late in a collapsing loss to the Grizzlies. Uh, and then it, that became a big talking point for two days, and Durant kind of publicly came out and said, yeah, I kind of got to get away from that a little bit. And he did get away from that, and then they figured that out. And then uh, the 15-1 and one just rumbled through the playoffs. Six, 16, 16 but yeah. my bad. 15-0. Oh, you know, 15-0. There was a legit chance we were going to see see the first undefeated. I remember we went to get a coffee the morning of game four, and we're like, yeah, we're definitely this is definitely going to happen today. Everybody was sure, but then they got blown out and then won in game five. What, 24 but, threes by the Cavs in that yeah. game. Uh, as far as moments of the year for them, uh, the Kevin Durant wing three over LeBron James that was kind of, you know, Durant's called it the whole pass and the torch thing, whatever that – from him has kind of been overblown, I think, a bit. Uh, but that is the moment in his career, the shot of, uh, you know, we're talking about an all-timer, a top-10 scorer probably ever, a top-20 player, I think, conservatively. I think you can make that. a pretty good case that Durant's going to end up being the all-time leading scorer. Uh, I, don't th- I think that case has been broken by two things. His foot injuries have sapped him of some games, and the fact that he came to the Warriors, that probably takes 2,000 points away from his career. Uh, the fact that instead of, Maybe. he used to score 30 a game and 28, now he's more down towards 25, 26. It's going to be tough to reach Kareem at 38, but I will say there's only I think six guys at 30K. Dirk is, I mean, uh, LeBron is about to join that club. Durant will be the There's seventh. no question he's going to be in the top 10. It's just where he yeah. finishes. Yeah, it's, he's going to be somewhere between probably yeah. Four and six. Yeah. Uh, but anyway, uh, that was his moment. And then all, all, the Oklahoma City back and forth rivalry has has owned the 2017. You know, from I mean, it seems so long ago now, but it was February 2017 where he went back to Oklahoma City for the first time. Yeah. What are your the What are your What are your I mean, you you covered the Thunder. You you have a lot of connections. You know, in not a not a sappy way. You have a lot of connections to that to that city and that organization. And from being, spending a lot of time there, you went to school in Oklahoma. Uh, went to Oklahoma State. What? What? Go Pokes. What? Go Pokes. Uh, what? Uh, what? What are kind of your enduring takeaways of of not just that game, but also kind of the way that that whole Warriors Thunder thing has played out over the last twelve months? It's weird. I mean, it's, enough time has passed now where it's not as strange, and you know. They went back. I remember them playing the first time in Oracle Arena against each other because the first game was here uh, where we're talking. And uh, Durant was on the court warming up, and some of his former teammates, Nick Collis and Anthony Morrow, I can remember, uh, they didn't want to look at each other. And, like, there was this, like, you know, the Thunder organization almost was told, like, you know, especially with the way Russell Westbrook kind of turned into, like, vengeance season, uh, you know, can't even – don't look at him, don't talk to him, don't acknowledge him when he goes back with the uh, – they never even played a tribute video, still haven't, whereas, like, the Knicks are playing tribute videos for Carmelo, and we know his connection's not nearly as deep as Durant in mm-hmm. Oklahoma City. Well, heck, even even them even them ridiculously giving uh, his jersey number to P.J. Dozier and then arguing that, well, what else are we supposed to do? His, his cousin wore it. Reggie Lewis, his cousin's Reggie Lewis, he wore it. Like, yeah, yeah what you do is say, hey, P.J. Dozier, thanks, but we're going to retire Kevin Durant's number. Go find another number. Yes, exactly. Uh, ridiculous – 
decisions on both sides. I mean, Kevin Durant's third person or whatever first person tweets about Donovan and the Thunder. I mean, like you can you can lob. Mis- oh sure, yeah. There's there's plenty to go side. around for sure. Um, and but it was really really strange for a while, and then and that all culminated where the cupcake game where it seemed like Kevin Durant was living in. Uh, basically his Twitter mentions, you know, that entire arena with the snake emojis and the cupcake signs and everything. But that was the, like, precipice of it all. And then ever since then, it's kind of the air has been let a little bit out of the balloon. I can't imagine what a Thunder Warrior series would have been in year one, uh, but I think it's moved a bit more onto basketball that, what I was saying. Well, what, first... it would have, what it would have been in year one would have been really nasty because the Thunder would have gotten destroyed. And then it would have been... It would have gone down swinging. And the it, crowd would have yes, gone Yes, and it would have been really nasty because of that. Because the Warriors, as we saw last year, they played them four times. They annihilated them four times. And the Warriors would have done that in the playoffs. They would have been extremely motivated to, to crush Oklahoma City. They would have because Oklahoma City didn't have the firepower. And it would have been ugly. Um, but I think what you were going to say is this year it seems like it will be much different. I think people have started to move on a lot more because... They've gotten Carmelo Anthony. They've gotten Paul George. They're kind of reestablished themselves, at least per, you know, at, for now, as a, a top team in the West, where nobody really thought they could get back to again. Russ wins MVP. It seemed, you know, like you said, I, I, it's clearly the the Jersey, th- the the PJ Dozier thing is kind of a sign that all has not been forgiven there, and isn't going to be for a long time. But it does seem that at least some of the venom is gone because the Thunder now have a team that are, is, if not quite as good as what it used to be. Um, certainly is a relevant team in the West again, which is what they were not a year ago. Yeah, yeah it's, uh, some of it is that, and the other thing is just look, look at time. I mean, time heals all wounds, whatever. I mean, that's a cliche, but it's true. I mean, right. there's just more time separated. The wound is, is scabbed up still, but it's not fresh. Yep. Uh, and, look, they were able to yell at him in that cupcake game. You know, if, it, if you know, uh, you, your girlfriend gets mad at you and she's just going to erupt for a little bit, but then eventually kind of, the, the tension's cool, and I think the best example of that for me is what I was kind of starting this question answering was uh, how weird it was pregame and how they just acted like they didn't know each other when it was so obvious yeah. that they knew each other. I remember us standing out on the court yeah. last year. It was in early November, yeah. which is a little earlier what we're talking about, but watching them, like you said, the interactions were just very strange. Like seeing uh, everybody, it was like you saw an ex that like you didn't want to talk exactly. to and you kind of pretended they weren't there. Exactly, whereas the first game in Oklahoma City this season – uh, you know, just a couple months back, one month back, whatever it was, uh, there was very much cordial conversations pregame. He's there sitting there with Nick Collison, probably chatted for 10 minutes. Yeah. You know, Mark Bryant was coming around. And, uh, you know, there were still people yelling some stuff in the crowd, but it wasn't nearly. It no. just felt like, oh, you know, they don't like this player. It didn't feel like, you know. Yeah. It was a you know a king that had tr- was a traitor of their land that had come back or something. Now, as as a guy who's around this team a lot, um, you know the Warriors have kind of taken a, a pretty loud stance in the league in terms of you know speaking their minds on some social issues. Right, you've got Steve Kerr who uh, is basically taking every opportunity to, to say things about the political situation in the country. Uh, you have Draymond Green, who's been willing to do that. Steph Curry, I think, kind of most surprisingly, has has taken some stands on things. Uh, Kevin Durant has said I mean, you go David West, you, you go down the line, like, a lot of guys have stood up and said stuff in, in a league full of people that have done that. Um, you know, somebody who's around this team every day and has kind of had a first-hand, you know, uh, a front-row seat to this this past year and everything that's gone on and, uh, you know, the, the stuff, the back and forth with Trump and the, the, all, the, all that. Um, what has kind of been your take as somebody who's around this team on the way the Warriors have embraced their position as, you know, some of those famous people in the country 
really taking on some of these you know significant issues that are going on right now. Well, it's just the one thing is there are significant issues going on right now, which has like been the main reason. Uh, if they weren't going on, they wouldn't really sure. need to talk about them. Sure. Um, and I think as it has developed and as Steve Kerr has said something and seen how the reaction was to it, he says, you know, I could maybe say something again if I feel strong about it because uh, their voice, as they've learned, as everyone learned, continues to carry more and more and more weight. Everyone now is pretty uh, you know, educated on Steve Kerr's background. And yep. how educated he is on all the issues. And if this isn't just, you know, there are obviously, when Steve Kerr says something, there are still plenty of people in my mentions or whoever's mentions that put oh, it Oh, mine there too, for sure. That say, you know, why do we care what a basketball coach says about it? But right. then anyone who knows Steve Kerr and knows his history uh, understands that he is, in a lot of ways, more knowledgeable than some of the people making decisions in the country. Um, so... It's the Steph Curry one was was the yeah. Most I, wanted to, I wanted to ask you about that. Uh, that has been the stunning thing to me, and that that Steph has taken such a active role in this. Remember back in June, he was the one who kind of first said, "I don't know about going to the White House," and then I, uh, you know, obviously media day was the big one because well, well, no, but I was going to say like even back in June he was like, "I don't think this is going to happen. We'll see." And then at media day, I was like, "Yeah, you know." I'm, don't see that happening. And then, obviously, Trump came back at him. But, like, what what do you think has kind of awoken that in him? Because for a long time, Steph was kind of like basketball's version of Derek Jeter, right? He was a guy that um, was very toast and very polite, like a good guy and polite. But, like, Derek Jeter went 20 years in New York and never had one controversy come around him, right? And Steph was kind of the same guy until the last six months when he's now kind of really stepped up and, and taken on some big stuff. I think a lot of factors. Number one, like he's just matured. He's become older. He's now like a dad, you know, with daughters and, and a wife, and uh, probably read a lot more. Because honestly, I think everyone in this climate, myself included, is a lot more in tune with what's going on. Oh, me too, for uh, sure. Where I could, like, if I obviously don't have the voice Steph Curry has, but if I was had cameras in front of my face, I'd probably be a lot more willing to to speak up. And then the the other thing is, um, you know, when the leader of your team, when the guy that would probably have the decision to punish you or not for speaking out, a Steve Kerr is more outspoken than anyone about these issues. You probably start to feel more comfortable, um, and you. See, I think the because Steve Kerr was the one that did it before all these guys. Yeah, uh, yeah. I think there's little doubt that that the fact that Steve has um, been so out front on this stuff. Uh, not that it's made it easier for any of these guys, but but it it does it like you said when you well I don't mean that I don't mean it like it it that was like an allowance like hey you're allowed to do it but more like if you see that the coach of your team is saying this stuff like it like you said if you think well is this going to maybe blow back on me like you know it's not going to blow back on you when your coach is louder than anybody about it and it hasn't really blown back on him either right you know uh, and. That's kind of it's been kind of a, a the, all those swirling events combined, and he hasn't been. I mean, like Steve Kerr will go on like three minute monologues about it. Draymond Green too, like he he will loudly go after some stuff. Yeah, Steph has only had you know I should say only Steph's had those select moments where he's really like Which, got involved but you know he, he's not to your point he's not like seeking it out yeah. on a daily basis or yeah anything. which is he shouldn't because he's not really comfortable seeking it out that's not him right but he has found that like if he really feels strongly on something and he literally just has a comment on it you know it's not a Draymond Green three minute thought out uh you know how am I exactly am I going to rant about this because Draymond mm-hmm. does think about that if he <laughs> just has a little yes. comment 
It's going to get more play than Draymond. So it's because everyone's kind of using, oh, Draymond said this about this today. Um, and he's also, and he's also no disrespect to Draymond, one of the five most important players in the NBA, too. Yeah, that's what I mean. Like, it, one of the most important voices in sports. I mean, right. top six, especially with all the kids out there that love stuff. Right. Um, so I think he just realizes, hey, if I say this one thing, I'm not saying anything over the line. I'm just allowing my opinion about something to do with the world out there. Uh, it's going to matter. And it has, and I think it's only uh, spiked his brand, really. Yeah. A couple quick questions before we go. Uh, do the Warriors uh, win the championship in 2018? And you'd have to predict yes. I'm not sure you could find anyone in the NBA unbiasedly saying uh, they wouldn't predict the Warriors to win the championship. I think injuries are very much to watch with this team. Obviously, Steph had the ankle thing right now uh, that is healing up, sure. and he'll play soon. Uh, Draymond Green's body kind of seems to be kind of, you know, not, I wouldn't say breaking down. He's still 27 years old, but uh, the bruises and knacks seem to kind of be getting to him. Uh, but injuries are the only thing to me that can derail this team. But I will say I'd be a little bit more worried about injuries than I was last season with this team. Yeah, well, they've, they've got more miles on them. All the guys are older. And look, you know, you saw last year if Kevin Durant freak injury, but if Zaza Pachulia's head is another half an inch higher up his leg, he might not come back all season. And then who knows what happens, right? I mean, it doesn't take much to, to shift the tide. At or, all. or if Zaza Pachulia's head is uh, 19 pounds instead of the 17 <laughs> pounds it already is, maybe. True. Uh, a couple more. Do, do all of, is there any, uh, are there any surprise players that are not on this team next season? Um... Looking far ahead, I know. Yeah, no. Um, I would say, I mean, so there's going to be some guys that aren't on the team. I don't think Zaza will return. I don't think JaVale will return, if I had to guess. I'm talking I'm talking like the core talking, group of guys. I think the main four are going to remain on the team, the four All-Stars. If they, you know, Iguodala's contract will become very interesting. as we Andre Iguodala, to me, is the one guy that could be interesting, where where if, if he doesn't have it in the playoffs – and you can find a way to, to, to save some money and move on from him, that wouldn't shock me. But yeah. I also think he'll probably be back. Too. I think he's going to be back because he's not going to be that easy to right. trade. Right. Uh, Patrick McCaw is the one that, uh, you know, he's a restricted free agent. Do they want to dig a, a chunk of money into him knowing who else is coming on the books the year after that with Clay Thompson and Jordan Bell, too, who to me is in the same situation as yep. McCaw, but he's become a far more important piece than McCaw moving yep. forward. Um, so if, if a team wants to give Patrick McCaw a pretty chunky contract, if you would have asked me four months ago, I said, you know, Warriors are going to bite the bullet and match it. Now I'm not so sure. Right. And final one, not on the Warriors, even though we're talking about them, since you do follow the Thunder pretty closely, what do you think they end up doing in the, the regular season of playoffs? Probably second round, uh, claw their way. So, uh, you know, I think they're going to get in that 4-5 matchup with Minnesota. I think they'll probably win that matchup. Although, man, that's going to be a desperate Crazy series. series. Crazy series. Um, and then that would get them in. That would get the Warriors into a 1-4 or 1-5, probably against the Warriors, assuming the Warriors have a better record than the Rockets, which, you know, might not happen. But Certainly looks like you're right now, yeah. given the way the last couple weeks have gone with the Rockets falling apart because of injuries and the Warriors kind of steamrolling along. Yeah, and if that's the 1-4, uh, you're going to predict the Warriors to win maybe in five or six games in a very emotional series where that franchise will be looking at Kevin Durant and their you know hated rival in the Warriors and knowing that they have this one final shot at uh, desperately trying to crawl towards a title that that you know was taken out of their grasp by many things some you know self-induced some injuries some number 35 leaving uh, to the Bay Area and I think they will just uh, 
it, that'll be such an emotional series, but it would might be the end of, of the Thunder era in a lot of ways. Well, and that, that comes back to what Paul George does, right? And that, you know, if the Thunder get to that place and they win a game or two against the Warriors, you have to think that gives them a pretty good chance to bring Paul George back, given if, if that's the way the season plays out, they'd have to be feeling pretty good. Yeah, no I doubt. And that saves the, the, the era, for sure. I mean, that pushes them into, <clears throat> you know, mild contender roles the next year, but, you know, I have no idea. How no, Paul me George's neither. Me neither. There's plenty of other factors to come at play, but it would be remarkable after... We sat, you know, we sat through that incredible Spurs Warriors series, or Spurs Thunder series, and that that Thunder Warriors series, which still I think was even maybe better than that finals, as good as that finals were. Um, like leaving that series, I remember you and I were talking, like, hey, like this is the next probably five years in the NBA, right? The Thunder and the Warriors battling for supremacy in the Western Conference and probably supremacy in the league. Like these are going to be the two titans of the league, and to have to have that go away seemingly forever. When Durant left, if it comes back this year in some kind of a competitive series, it'd be pretty remarkable for a pretty remarkable turn of events, given where it looked like it was going to be for a long time when Durant left. I think there'd so be, be a, fun. I think there'd be a few storylines, just uh, a few going into that. Be good series. for us. All right, man. Thanks. Uh, thanks for doing this, and uh, enjoy uh, enjoy the end of 2017 and the start of 2018. Sounds good. Thanks for having me. All right, next up is Fred Katz uh, from the Norman Transcript. Fred, thanks for, for coming by and doing this, man. I appreciate it. I know it's uh, busy at the end of the year, holiday time. So thanks for a few minutes. Obviously been a really interesting calendar year for the Thunder. Um, you know, go back to the, everything with Kevin Durant leaving, his first game back in Oklahoma City in February, Russell Westbrook winning the MVP, the trades this summer, and going into the season, the, the craziness that's gone on so far this season. As you look back over the last 12 months, what, what is the thing that will stand out to you most about, about being around the Thunder over the past over this calendar year? Uh, it's probably just Russ's 2016-17 season in general. Uh, the, the stretch he went on in the second half last year, him eventually winning MVP. I mean, you know, you can, you can take whatever side you want on Russ. You can talk about, you know, him being, you know, him putting up the numbers as, as an incredible thing, you know, a great thing for, for the team or, or something less than that. Whatever it was, I mean, it was it was just remarkable to watch. I don't think there's anything arguing. Like, there's any way of arguing against that. The, the a dude just putting up 30, 11, and 10 for a full season is unbelievable. And the, the game-winning shots he was hitting last year, the unbelievable clutch time performance after clutch time performance. Like, it was it was unbelievable watching him last year. We're kind of seeing it lately now. Uh, and it was – that was – I just – I think in 40 years I could be on the beat for 40 more years and you could ask me what was the most amazing thing you saw on the beat – and that season from Russ would probably be within one of the first five things I said. Yeah, it's hard to argue that given given just how incredible um, he really was last year. You know, be, becoming the first guy in half a century to average a triple double, winning the MVP, hitting like you hitting all those incredible game winning shots, like that shot in Denver, uh, which is the the one moment from last year I'll remember from him the thirty five footer to win that game. And uh, did that did that that clinched him a playoff spot too, right? That yeah, win. And it- it, uh, it eliminated Denver from the playoffs. That's right. And, and, and the Denver fans went wild. 
<laughs> yes, they did. In, 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 one, in one of many strange moments of this, this year, uh, having, having fans of a team that got eliminated from the playoffs get fired up for a game-winning shot by the other team. it was Because <laughs> it was incredible. It, it, it was, was incredible. He, he, he broke the triple-double record uh, the, you know, for most triple-doubles in a season. You know, only, only plays before it on that pass to Samaje Christian, which is going to be the answer to a great trivia. Yes, it is. Today, by the way, <laughs> uh, on that pass to Samaje Christian. And uh, and then he hit the game winner. It gave it, it brought him to exactly fifty points. I mean, it was it was it was one of those movie like you know endings where it was just it was all so clean and perfect. And it was that was that was amazing. Even even the crowd they got eliminated from the playoffs. And they just went wild. They were so pumped to have been there for it. It was it, it was unbelievable that game. That was amazing. Yeah, it really was. And I talked about this with 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 uh, Slater a little bit on on the section of this I did with him. But what 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 were your memories of, or what are your memories of the the whole Durant Westbrook Durant Thunder thing over the last twelve months? Going, you know, if you just want to go through the the game back in February and then even kind of to where it's where it's come now with the with the trades and, and everything else. Yeah. So. Uh... Can I can I bleed a little bit into 2016? Sure. That- yeah, we did. No, we we did too. That that that's kind of an overarching thing. Yeah, it's like how they say the 1960s really started. Uh, the 1970s really started the end of Vietnam, right? Like it really started like in the early 70s was the 70s, not 1970s. So I'm saying that the 2017 started in November 2016, and I'm gonna say it started with uh, the Russell Westbrook photography vest, which is the greatest petty wars trolling uh, I think the NBA has seen in a long time. So the, the photographer vest, which I just thought was hilarious, is, uh, is and Russ just saying that he got it from a girl in, uh, in Spain when the Thunder were there for a preseason trip there. I, I, that, that's just a thing that, that, for some reason, I just thought was so hilarious, and I will remember for, uh, for a long time on that. The fans, obviously, that Durant return game was something that, that I think met, seemed bigger in the time than it will in 10 years. Like I think I really think it's a, the Durant OKC thing is going to be diffused in ten years. Uh, I just almost similar to like Vince Carter with Toronto. Uh, you know, Vince Carter used to go back to Toronto and he would just get he he would get jeered like crazy every time he went there, and then he goes back there with, with for what might be his last time this year, and he gets cheered. And uh, and I think I think it, it might end up turning out a little bit more like that. And and the Durant the Durant yelling at him, uh, you know, the fans yelling at him, the cupcake chants, all that might be might be a thing that's more of just like a note of hey remember when he went back and it was like this as opposed to just a constant a constant sports hatred thing you know yeah i think you might be right i think it's going to last a little longer than that especially given you know the fact that the thunder gave out durant's number to pj dozier and then you know actively defended it i think you know i think some of that stuff is going to linger for a while but you're right even even that game last month when the uh when the when the Warriors went back there and the, the Thunder blew them out, I mean there were even a couple of cheers for Durant that day. The, the, it wasn't nearly as venomous as before. And, and right, I, well, the environment then well, that night was crazy. That was a crazy environment, and the Thunder played really well, and they won that game by seventeen points or eighteen points, whatever it was. And right. Like, the difference in the environments that night, it was still a venomous environment, but that was a basketball crowd. Yes, like that was a crowd pumped because the Thunder were beating the best team in the NBA and Russ was playing great. And there was a real basketball rivalry there. The basketball rivalry crowds there are awesome. I mean, that arena, you've been, that arena gets as wild as any other in the NBA. gets as loud as any other in the NBA. And like the basketball crowds are great. And that crowd, when Durant first came back, that first game back, that wasn't a basketball crowd. That was a, that was a personal rivalry crowd. And and I think the basketball crowds are going to continue. 
that stuff's going to continue, but I don't think it's going to be as personal, you know, down the line. I just don't think that'll be the case. No, I think you're right. Um, now to transition to the team they've got now, obviously been a pretty wild few months. The Paul George trade happens on the eve of free agency. Then Carmelo Anthony gets acquired on the eve of training camp. Then Russell Westbrook uh, signs his contract extension uh, a week or two later. Um, to, to make sure he's locked in for a long time. Been some up and downs here for the first couple months of the season. Thunder seem to have turned it around lately. Won a bunch, I think, what, five, six in a row now after after last night went over Toronto? That's six? That's six in a row, yeah. So six in a row. They're up to, uh, I'm looking at the standings right now, they're two games back of uh, Minnesota for fourth in the West. Uh, both teams have, have winning streaks of five or more. Um, what do you to just what are, what has kind of the last couple been months been like as you've kind of watched this, you know, fits and starts team try to get started and have people you know clamoring for at times for Billy Donovan to get fired for Carmelo Anthony to come off the bench for uh you know for all kinds of different things to happen um and, and to see them now you know potentially maybe finally starting to kind of find their stride here. The drama is amazing. Like it's it's amazing that you could just take one team and there could be so much drama around them. Like I feel like certain organizations, like sometimes it's not because of anything the organization does. Like you know, with the Knicks, it's like the Knicks have drama because a lot of it is like the Phil Jackson stuff. That's self-induced drama. That's self-inflicted drama, right? Uh, but the Thunder, it's just like they're just drama just follows them. They get off to their slow start and it's dramatic, and then they. They, their one win in the slow start happens to be when they kill the Warriors, and it's dramatic, and, and they lose all these really close games, and it's dramatic. And now they're winning all these really close games, and that's dramatic. And it's like it's there's always something that's that's super over the top. And, and yeah, I said movie like before, a movie like about the organization dating all the way back to like when Durant was here. And um, yeah, I mean, I, I think they're I think they're really good. I think now I think it's safe to say that they're. They're really good. Like uh, Royce Young from ESPN has said it really well. The problem with this team was that they were capable of playing to a 10. And there aren't that many teams in the NBA capable of playing to a 10. But the problem with the team is that like the other teams capable of playing it to a 10, Houston or Golden State or maybe Boston, they, they will never play to a zero. Though so their worst is like a four. But the Thunder are also capable of playing to a zero. And that's the crazy you know divide between how good they could potentially be and how bad they can potentially be. And I think we've seen them kind of get this cohesion, uh, start to, you know, me- mellow kind of starting to accept a role on a winning, uh, as long as they win, I think is, and I think he's going to continue to do that is really interesting. And, uh, and a development that I, I don't know if I necessarily saw, I think a lot of people didn't think they'd see it. And I don't think he's ever going to be strictly catch and shoot, but I think he's, he's a lot more okay with taking a backseat, taking fewer shots than he was two months ago. Uh, and I think that's something Billy Donovan and the rest of the organization deserves some praise for because that's 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 an impressive impressive way to to grease that situation. Uh, and Russ just starting to play like he did last year. Uh, he, he's he's hitting every shot. He's been on fire. And and I don't think Russ shooting fifty eight percent from the field like he has been recently is going to keep up. But the offense looks a lot more impressive, and the defense that's been really good all year. So I, I think they're really good now. Yeah, no, I, I I think they're starting to round into form. And look, they have a lot of talent. And, you know, people, as as always is the case now, everybody's ready to jump on everything and uh, announce that people need to get fired or people need to get traded or this isn't going to work right from the get-go. But it needs, to be, it needs to be said, again, that the Thunder had a certain team last year, made a radical change in July when they traded for Paul George. 
then made a radical change again when they treated for Carmelo Anthony on the eve of training camp starting. And then a Russell Westbrook and Patrick Patterson both missed all of training camp because of knee injuries. So, and it was a shortened camp anyway. So, to, to, for, it, was, it seems obvious to me that there was going to be some slow, uh, there was going to be some stumbles out of the gate. And the fact that this team has defended as well as it has all the way through always gave me confidence that their offense was going to get figured out. Because when you have, even for people that want to crap on Carmelo Anthony at this point, he's still a good offensive player. And when you have him and Russell Westbrook and Paul George, at some point your offense is going to click and you're going to be good. And it looks like that's what's happening now. Steven Adams has been great. And, you know, if they can get some of these bench pieces to round into form and maybe add a piece or two here in the next month or either via trade or, or maybe after the deadline into some buyout situations, you know, they look like a team that could really make some noise. Yeah, yeah, and, and you bring it up, but the, the defense has been excellent. I mean, this has been one of the three, four, five best defenses. They've been top five in defensive efficiency all year. You know, I was going through it with a buddy, and, and we were uh, – we were, we were thinking about, like, all right, who's a contender for all defense this year? Because there are so many guys who could potentially be all defense who have just gotten hurt this year. Like, Gobert's been hurt, and Chris Paul has been hurt, and Patrick Beverly is hurt. And, like, even, like, Luke Bamute got hurt, and who knows about what Embiid's minutes and playing time is going to be like at the end of the year. And it's going to be a weird year for all defense because of all these injuries, potentially. And, like, we were thinking, like, there are three guys in the Thunder who have legitimate all-defense cases with the way that Paul George has defended this year. Andre Robertson was there last year and is having another great year. And and Steven Adams has been really excellent defensively this year. I mean, I think he's become one of the best pick-and-roll defenders in the league, one of the five or six best two-way centers in the NBA, if we just account for the two-way guys. Like, they, they have three really elite defensive players on that team, as well as some other really solid defensive guys coming off the bench. I think Russ has been... I mean, he's not a great defender, but he's been better defensively this year than he was last year. I don't think there's any question about that. Uh, and, and defensively, they've been really good. If they can be the 10th best offense in the NBA with that defense, they could be really, really good. And if they could somehow get their offense up to, to really, really strong levels, I mean, then you're talking about, you know, one of the best teams in the NBA. Well, that's the team that, that has beaten the, the Rockets and, and blew out the, the Warriors, right? That's a team that, that you know, can really contend with with some of those elite teams, you know, Royce brings up a good point where their, their highs are as good as anybody, but they've been very inconsistent. And if they can, mm-hmm. if they could bring the, if they could bring that consistency up, they're going to look a lot better. Uh, before we go, a couple of predictions to look ahead to 2018 for them. Uh, will, where will the Thunder finish in the, the standings at the end of the regular season in the West? I think they're going to be fourth. I think they're going to pass Minnesota, but I, I think the gap is, you know, they had some bad losses early this year. Like, they lost to Orlando when Orlando had lost nine in a row. And they lost to Dallas and a couple other really bad ones. And, and I think that's going to hurt them in the end. Like, if they had won those three games that they really should have won and they didn't, then, you know, this team's 23-12. and 12, And we're talking about them totally differently than when they're 20-15. and 15, But I think that's going to hurt them. So I, I don't think they're going to pass San Antonio. But I do think they're going to catch Minnesota. Where do they finish? What what do they do once they get to the playoffs? Um, well, if I have them at four, I guess I'm going to guess them at a at a second round out to Golden State because I I can't pick them in my right mind to beat Golden State. If Houston got the one seed, though, I mean I'd pick Houston against them, but I, I think that would be a that that could be a really fun series. I personally am hoping they play Houston because I I think that they they have in in Robertson and um 
and George, the two two guys that could throw at at uh, Paul at James Harden at any time, and I, I really feel like they could give Houston a ton of problems. When I mean, you saw it in that Christmas Day game, um, you know, obviously the 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 uh, the Rockets are a little banged up right now, but but still, like they have the they have the capability to really give that Houston team problems. I think that would be a hell of a series. Because um, you're right, I, I think whenever they end up against Golden State, they would. Uh, they would go down, but that also, if that did happen in the second round, I mean, that would be a pretty fun series too. From certainly from our standpoint, from a you know from writing about it and 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 storyline standpoint, there's there's not much better than you know finally getting to see a you know Kevin Durant Russell Westbrook playoff series, especially when the Thunder you know last year if that series had happened, the Thunder would have gotten completely annihilated. It would have been you know it would have been pretty nasty, like you said, because it would have just become a focus on all the off court stuff. Whereas this year. I'm with you. I still think that the uh, I still think that the Thunder would lose in probably five or six games, but they at least have a chance to make it competitive as they showed in that blowout win the night before Thanksgiving last month um, yeah. in ways they couldn't last year. Yeah, and I'm with you. I think a Houston series would be a blast. And like, what's what'll be so interesting from like a nerdy basketball fan series is like you bring up Paul George and Robertson. Like Robertson is maybe i mean he's one of the best hardened defenders in the league if not the single best hardened defender in the league he does such a great job on on wings who draw fouls like he does a great job against guys like harden and DeRozan. you try to get you with those sneaky you know foul drawing pump fake moves and all that kind of stuff because he's so disciplined with his feet and with his hands and like he's also probably the best chris paul defender on this team so it'll be really interesting to see how they give you that. They switch a lot anyway, so I don't think it matters quite as much with the way the Thunder play defense compared to some other teams. They're not just going to throw Robertson at a guy and say, stay right. on him no matter what. They're right. going to defend Harden differently than they did last year. But like that will be really interesting to see how in a seven-game series, if it comes to that point, how they use their defenders, because they are a lot of defensive talent, and how they use their defenders and use their length, and they lead the team. They lead the league. They take away... Uh, you know, passing lanes better than any other team in the NBA right now. Like how they use all that stuff against this unbelievable Houston offense. That would be an incredibly fun matchup to watch in a seven game series. Yeah, no question about it. It would it would be a lot of fun. So listen, man, this this was great. Let me uh let, let me let you go here though before before I do, do you have anything you want to plug as the uh as the year ends? Um yeah, I guess you can you can read my stuff on the Norman transcript. You can follow me on Twitter at Fred Katz, F R E D K A T Z. You can listen to my post game show on Patreon called Thunder After Dark, patreon.com slash Thunder After Dark. And you can listen to my other podcast, uh also on Patreon, uh called the OKC Dream Team. We're very cocky like that. We called ourselves a dream team. And it's uh, patreon.com slash OKC Dream Team. Well, there you go. You just spent almost as long as the entire segment promoting yourself. So nice job. <laughs> hey, you walked into that. That's completely your fault. True. That's 100% your fault. True. All right, buddy. Thanks for doing this, and uh, have a good New Year, all right? Yeah, thanks for having me. All right, next up, Ian Begley, uh, terrific Knicks reporter for ESPN.com. Ian has been having to follow the entire Carmelo Anthony situation uh, longer and closer than anybody, really, including some great stuff recently in the wake of Carmelo's trip back with the Thunder. So obviously a weird 2017 for the Knicks, Ian, just like basically every year of our lives at this point uh, <laughs> with something going on. But, uh, you know, between the Phil Jackson exit, the Carmelo exit, the, the, the on-again, off-again trade talks with Chris Stapps, Porzingis, um, the resurgence they've had here to start the, to start this new season. What, what's kind of your biggest takeaway of everything that's happened across these last 12 months for the Knicks? 
I think, Timmy, you kind of hit it on the head when you talked about just the rocky nature of, of the early part of this calendar, actually three quarters of this calendar. And then now here we are, uh, you know, 30 odd games into the season and the Knicks the management in particular seems like it's kind of steadied the ship here after just the, the after the Knicks being basically the butt of every NBA joke for about nine months. I think you got to give Steve Mel, Steve Mills and Scott Perry some credit for the way they've handled the transition from the end of that Phil Jackson era, which included that, that what had the potential to be a very messy divorce from Carmelo Anthony to where they are now kind of having turned the page and having the opportunity at least to do build things the right way around a, a very good player in Chris Stapps Porzingis. So the year started out in, in disastrous fashion for this franchise, but now I think for the first time in a long time, you can see the light at, at the end of what has been a long, dark tunnel for the New York Knicks. Yeah, no kidding. What 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 is the uh what is the long-term uh memory of Phil Jackson in his time as executive of the Knicks? Is it is it as simple as he managed to draft Chris S. Porzingis and that will overshadow everything else or or like how do, how do you think his tenure will be viewed in 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 the future? Yeah, I don't think it can be as simple as hey, he drafted Chris Stapps, so, you know, 10 years from now we'll be talking about how great it was that the Knicks had Phil Jackson running them for a few years. I think what he was tasked to do was build uh, from the from the bottom up uh, a culture and uh, uh, rebuild the culture, I should say, and, and build an identity for this franchise and a way this team wanted to play. He failed in doing so. Um, you know, he didn't attract big name free agents. He didn't uh, win many trades. Uh, he, he drafted well. So, you know, uh, I think that it's you can say that it's a mixed bag, but I think ultimately – it, no matter what happens with Kristaps Porzingis, it was essentially um, a failure uh, with with Phil Jackson here because of the the bigger picture elements that he wasn't able to accomplish. You know, Jim Dolan basically gave him kind of carte blanche, let him uh, run the franchise the way he saw fit. Didn't really get involved until the end when he decided to part ways with Phil. So Phil had an opportunity here to really put his stamp on the Knicks and, and failed in many different aspects of running an NBA team. Um, so I think, you know, mixed bag, but I would, I would, I would err more towards uh, that era being a failure uh, for the Knicks and for Phil. Well, like you said, the, the whole, the whole task for him was coming and change the culture on the garden. Right. And when he right. left, when he left the culture on the garden had not changed a bit and, Correct. And, and in large part because of the way Phil handled things, you know, so I certainly, I certainly can't argue with that now kind of along the same lines, you know, Carmelo Anthony, we, we both were in New York for the vast majority of his tenure. You've been there for the entire thing. Um, what do you think his legacy is as a Nick and, and for his tenure with the franchise? Uh, just a disappointment in, in a general sense because, you know, when he came here, the idea was that they were going to, at first it was, you know, he and Amari were going to form this tandem in the front court that was going to lead the Knicks to being one of the elite teams in the Eastern Conference and hopefully competing for a championship. Mm -hmm. And then, you know, you, you fast forward several years later and the Knicks missed the playoffs in, in Melo's last four years in New York. So there's plenty of blame to go around. Um, I don't think it's it's fair, just as we talked about with Phil. You know, the, there are things that he did well that he deserves credit for, but there are a lot of things that went wrong that he deserves a blame for. With Carmelo, I think you can you can look at it similarly, where um, yeah, he didn't do a lot to elevate the talent that was around him. 
Um, you can make an argument that the effort he gave uh, night in and night out on defense wasn't certainly wasn't the kind of effort that's contagious on that end of the floor. Um, so you can make an argument that he contributed in some ways to the Knicks' struggles, but you can also look at the talent that he was surrounded with. And you know, one of the fun kind of not fun questions if you're a Knicks fan, but interesting <laughs> questions is like who is Carmelo's most talented teammate when he was here? Was it Amari who was was banged up for? So much of Melo's tenure, was it a 40-year-old Jason Kidd? Was it Jeremy Lin, who had a good run for a couple months? I mean, there, Kristaps Porzingis, who was a baby when Melo was here. I don't know. Probably there Tyson that Chandler, one. right? Yeah, it could and have even, been Tyson. even Tyson, who won Defensive Player of the Year when they won 54 games, is still a, you know, a, a fairly limited guy who's an excellent defensive player, but it's obviously, a, you know, other than a rim roller, not, a, not much of a factor offensively. Correct, and he was out for a big chunk of that 2013-14 season, which when when the Knicks were really disappointing. So there was never that one guy that was around Carmelo or that strong cast around Carmelo where you could say, wow, you know, that team had a ton of talent and just underperformed. So you could argue that management really never put the, the necessary pieces around Melo. But I think just utter disappointment, particularly the way things ended uh, that last four seasons, no playoffs. Um, but again, I don't think it's a black and white thing where you can say, hey, this is all Melo's fault. He was terrible here. Everything that went wrong was because of him. There were different factors involved, but ultimately they did not reach the heights that they were looking for when they traded half the franchise for Melo in uh, 2011. Yeah, no kidding. Now, do you think that the package they got for Carmelo was about as good as they could have done given the circumstances? I think that there were so many different factors at play around that time with the uncertainty with where the, the CBA was and the, the idea that, you know, Carmelo didn't want to test for agency. Wanted to oh, no, 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 no. Just to be clear. I meant, I meant this year. Oh, I'm sorry. Uh, no, no, you're good. Me, Timmy. You're good. The trade, the trade they made to get rid of him this year. He had me back in, in 2011 no, for a little you're bit. Good. Yeah. So, uh, at the time, I thought, man, they, they really should have gotten more here. I, I thought that I, I was surprised with that they waited all summer. And in waiting, I thought they were going to get something significant back. And at the time, I thought, geez, they could have got maybe like a, a late first rounder or something better than Cantor and McDermott, who I thought were both pretty limited on the defensive end of the floor. But now here we are, you know, 30-plus games into the season. Both these guys have played pretty solid roles for this team. Um, and played were are important factors here, and the Knicks having more success than a lot of us pegged them for coming into the year. So I was dead wrong in assessing this trade. I think we're where where we are now. That the management did a pretty good job, all things considered, with the Carmelo trade because they got also a second round pick, Chicago second round pick, which should be pretty high um, in the second round. And then you know you have a guy in Cantor who's who's really playing well for you, and McDermott who's had some some strong showings off the bench, and you didn't really hamstring yourself in the future because McDermott's a free agent this coming season. Cantor has a player option for next year, which even if he picks it up, you have, you're have you going to have the freedom in the summer of 2019 to do what you want to do with that position. So I think, uh, by and large, they've done a nice job. They did a nice job with that trade. I think a lot of people, including myself, did a bad job assessing that thing initially, just like we did with the Paul George trade. Yeah, no, they've, they've, they've been a nice fit. And look, especially you have to remember when you look at that trade that given the fact that Carmelo had all the, you know, held the cards with the no trade clause that, 
it, you know, it made it made it pretty difficult for them to uh, to get real equal value back. So the fact they even got what they did, I, I think, is is pretty good, all things considered. And like you said, the fact they didn't have to take back uh, Ryan Anderson, say, or some somebody with an even longer term contract than than what Canner has, which is you know probably this year and next year is is probably about as good as they were going to do, um, mm-hmm. which which definitely helps with that. Now, Christmas Porzingis has been great. You know, Phil Jackson, you know, they managed to move on for Phil before he did trade Porzingis, like it seems like to all of us that he actually wanted to. Um, as you spin ahead to 2018, uh, what do, what do you need to see from Porzingis to 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 true to think that he's truly a guy that that can be a franchise cornerstone, or or has he shown enough already that you think he's already at that level? I think he can be there. I don't think he's there right now. I think what we're seeing now is a, a, a young player who is is in his first thirty plus games of being the number one option in an NBA offense, night in and night out, and kind of dealing with everything that comes with playing that role, seeing so many different adjustments adjustments on defense. He talked the other night about how sometimes he's getting a double team early in the possession. Sometimes, sometimes he's getting a double team late in the possession. Sometimes teams are switching. So he's dealing with different schemes night in and night out. So I think he will eventually get there if he stays healthy. But I don't think he's there now. He's just in the, that kind of a developmental stage. And one thing that I think we'll see soon from Chris Stapps, or we should see soon from Chris Stapps, is really handling the double team uh, deftly because this he's starting to see a lot of doubles on a consistent basis and he's still kind of getting comfortable with the timing of the double team when to pass out how to pass out where to look um, the angles to exploit and he's talked about you know this being a learning process for him and, and the idea that he's going to be seeing consistent double teams now just kind of getting used to that so I think as he continues to get comfortable with that we'll see him take advantage, exploit that double team more frequently, which will obviously open things up for his teammates and make, make life easier for him. Yeah, that, that is beyond that, the other thing I need to see from him personally is just that he needs to be able to stay on the court. He's had some nagging injuries. He's faded yes. down the stretch a lot the first two years in the league. Um, if, he can, if he can, you know, finish this out and make the all-star team and, you know, have a strong second half, I think that would go a long way towards doing that too. Now, as you spin ahead to 2018, a couple things quick before we go. Uh, where do the Knicks make the playoffs or do you think they fall short? You know, I think depends on what they do at the trade deadline. I think if, you know, they're in the middle of this uh, very tough road stretch, they have uh, 14 of 17 on the road. They've been terrible on the road. If they can tread water and show management that, hey, we should be buyers at the trade deadline, let's try and add a piece and make a push to the playoffs, I think they get there. But I think if they kind of stand pat at the deadline, I just wonder if they have enough at lead guard between Jared Jack, Neil Akeen, and Ron Baker, if they have enough to get themselves uh, into the playoffs, I think they'll be in the mix. Nine, ten, eight, come late March, mid-April, or early April, and that's really all you can ask for for a team that was pegged for 25 wins. But I'm not sure that they have enough to get in there at the moment. We'll see what happens at the trade deadline. Yeah, what what is your gut on what they do at the deadline? you think they stand pat? I think they probably try, look for a lead guard. Uh, I mean, again, it, it's it's hard to know because they have this this bear of a road trip, and I think if they fall off the map on the road, they'll probably look to trade veterans, some of their veterans, and maybe a Kylo Quinn or Courtney Lee, and and maybe play for the draft. Not, not that they would say that publicly, but if they can tread water, um, I could see them trying to upgrade the point guard position to give themselves a chance to compete uh, for that seventh eighth spot in the East. 
It just It's just a matter of how they handle this road trip coming up, which is absolutely brutal. They're in the middle of it right now. Yeah, interesting guy for me to watch for them is Kemba Walker, New York native. Uh, he's only got a year and a half left on his deal. Uh, the, the, the Hornets are going nowhere. The Knicks have their pick. They've got uh, they've got Nilakina that can maybe put in a trade. Uh, it would uh, you know I don't know if they're necessarily going to go quite that other direction to get a veteran guy, even though Kemba's still in his late twenties. But mm-hmm. um, but it, you know that if they do decide to make a swing for a guard, he certainly at least the way the Knicks have operated in the past, he certainly would line up with the kind of guy they would look for. Um, yeah, I think that management would love to get a guy like Kemba in here. I'm just not sure they would move off Frank at this point. I think everyone's pretty optimistic about what he can be. Right. But hey, if, if if the right deal is on the table, uh, maybe that's a risk you have to take if you're Scott Perry and Steve Mills. Yeah, no, I agree. Now, one final thing. Uh, the Joakim Noah signing, from the moment it was signed, obviously has been a disaster, as expected. One of the, one of the enduring legacies of the Phil era. Um, what do you think the chances are he is still on the roster at the start of next season? Uh, I think very, very, very slim. I think, um, you know, in a perfect world for the Knicks, they find a team to take Joe for a second round pick and call it a day. I don't think that happens though. I don't think he's, I don't think that contract is tradable. So one of two things then has to happen. Joe Keem would have to agree to take a little less money and, and allow the Knicks to buy him out or, over the summer, the Knicks would uh, use the stretch provision and stretch Joe's deal to get him essentially uh, off the books at a, at a lower rate, longer longer years, but a lower rate than what it is right now. So I think that there's a very small chance that he's on this roster next year. I think he's a prideful guy. He wants the chance to play somewhere. He thinks he could still play. And the Knicks would prefer to not have that, that salary clogging up their cap space going forward. So there's going to be a resolution, I think, one way or the other. Yeah, I certainly hope so. Just because you'd like to see a guy who's played that long in the league, uh, you know, not be stuck in kind of the, the limbo that he's in. Even if, like I said before, that the, from the moment that contract was signed, it was kind of obvious that it was going to head in this direction, you know, at some point and probably pretty quick. So, um, all right, Ian, this was great, man. Thanks. Thanks for doing it. Before you go, though, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter. And uh, if you got anything coming up, you want to check out. Timmy, always great to be with you, man. I want to say before I go, you have been right on the Knicks for like the last three off seasons, but and it's always been a first guess. Like after they're done making their moves in like August, you're the guy on podcast saying this is going to be a disaster. It's not going to work out. <laughs> you you have nailed it the past couple of years. So I think I I, I appreciate that uh, from a prognosticator standpoint. Well, I mean, betting betting against the Knicks over the last twenty years hasn't necessarily been a, a, a you know it hasn't been a risky bet, but I appreciate that. <laughs> so I'm on Twitter at Ian Begley, I A N B E G L E Y, and uh, look forward to any Knicks talk on there. Feel free to uh, to shoot me a comment. I'm happy to always talk Knicks with with the people on Twitter. All right, man, you definitely are. So thanks for doing this, and I'll, I'll be in touch with you soon. Anytime, Timmy. Take care, man. All right, thanks, man. What happened in the first half of that game? I didn't see anything. Uh, they were down 11 early on, and then Beasley came in, and he had like, I think he scored seven points in like six minutes, got them back in it, and then uh, Milikina actually played some good minutes in, in the second quarter. He's been I good. They're down one. Yeah, he's been solid. Defensive end, he's been really good. Offensive end, he's kind of hot and cold, but um, I, I do think they like what they have and his potential. So 
I think I wasn't just saying that. I think they. Oh, I agree with you. They should like. Probably wouldn't move him. Yeah, they should yeah, like hang them. on to him. I I just wonder what they'll do if if a guy like Kemba actually does get hung out there. Yeah, that'll be interesting. Do you think he will become available because Charlotte's just going nowhere? I think he should. I mean, I yeah. I think they're going off a cliff, and you know, I don't. I just they they may delusionally hang on to him, but I, I don't see how he'd resign there. And um, you know, if you could get something for him, I I would think they would, but. Um, mm-hmm. you know, that's, that's an interesting one to keep an eye on. Yes. That's, that's when I'm They're They're here tomorrow. I'm planning on poking around and seeing what, uh, seeing what happens. So, all right, man, I'll let you get back to the game though. Thanks for doing this and I'll, uh, I'll see you soon. Okay. All sounds good, buddy. Happy new year. If you enjoyed this podcast and are interested in learning more about the NBA, you can get my weekly NBA newsletter, the Monday Morning Post-Up, delivered right to your inbox every Monday morning at 8 a.m. To do so, please go to wapo.st slash postupnewsletter to subscribe. You'll get an original column from me, links to my work from the past week, links to work from both my colleagues at the Washington Post and other writers from around the web about the league, a viewing guide for the week ahead, and some dining and pop culture recommendations. Again, to subscribe to the Monday Morning Post-Up, please go to wapo.st slash post-up newsletter and start your week off right with everything you need to know about the NBA. All right, next up is Jay King, my good buddy from MassLive.com, who covers the Celtics, who are kind of have kind of had a tale of two teams in 2017. First half of the year, I... Uh, Kind of Isaiah Thomas and the Mighty Mites uh, kind of surprise the league and, you know, have a bunch of close clutch wins and make the Easter Conference Finals. And, uh, you know, Isaiah ends up hurting his hip. And then, you know, the summer, you know, they draft Jason Tatum. They trade for Kyrie Irving. They they sign Gordon Hayward. Then Gordon Hayward gets hurt. Uh, been, a, been a very wild uh, year for the Celtics. So I, I guess, Jay, just to start with, as you look back on 2017, these past 12 months, what is the thing that's going to stay with you about the way this year played out around the Celtics? Well, I mean, there's there's so much. Uh, last year's run was amazing. The the way that Isaiah Thomas scored and scored and scored every night, and like they never won blowout games. It was always close games. It was always Isaiah scoring like 10 points in the fourth quarter. It was. And then the playoffs, the playoff run was just just special. What he did after his sister passed away, and with the hip as bad as it was, going to the hospital sometimes, getting his teeth knocked out, it was just just an incredible playoff run. And then obviously the summer was just insane. I mean, <laughs> after Isaiah does all that, they traded him for Kyrie Irving, they traded the number one overall pick, they picked up Jason Tatum, who's been better than anyone expected right away, and Gordon Hayward goes down on opening night. That was memorable just seeing his his foot dangling in the wrong direction that was unlike anything i've ever seen just just totally disgusting and you thought the team would would really struggle after that they didn't and they they're currently number one in the east so just been a wild wild year where i've kind of learned to expect anything with the celtics um yes that's a good that's a good way to describe it um you know it's been uh it's been it's been a pretty wild year. Let's let's go back to that that run at the start of the year with Isaiah, uh, since obviously that's the farthest thing away now. Is is this year is the is the team now uh, quite as um, as beloved as that team was, or was Isaiah did Isaiah kind of turn himself into 
a singular figure in Boston, you know, as kind of the, you know, prototypical underdog guy that, that everybody in Boston is, uh, you know, kind of preconditioned, I think, to root for. It's it's funny because I think if, if this year's team with Kyrie Irving had gotten off to a bad start, I think people would have had a really tough time moving on from the Isaiah Avery Bradley core. But because this year's team went on a 16-game winning streak and separated itself so quickly from the East, even without Hayward, and has Jason Tatum you know, being a rising superstar and Jalen Brown being better at 21 than almost anybody at that age normally is they the fans kind of moved on really quickly it's it's been incredible to see how quickly they've moved on and obviously everybody loved Isaiah like Isaiah was a fantastic Boston superstar and the fact that he made his own way he worked his ass off he was a self-made superstar you know the number 60 pick in the draft and he was very honest and, and open about things, which is kind of cool to see how candid he was. And Kyrie Irving, very different story, you know, number one pick. But he's he's such a magician and so good, and he's kind of stepped right into that role. And the rest of the Celtics, you know, they, they've been so good that the team, the fans fell in love with, with this group really quickly. When if, if they didn't play so well, that could have been bad. Like if, if Tatum hadn't been so good – or if Fultz had set the world on fire instead of going through his shoulder issues and whatnot, like people could really be grumpy about what happened this summer. But right now, there, there's no need to be grumpy because everything's coming up age, man. <laughs> that, that's a good way to sum up the Celtics at this point. I mean, really, you know, it is like, you know, it, it is it is just kind of a never-ending series of uh, of breaks that seem to be going the Celtics' way. I mean, go back to. Go back to the, the, the attempt at Justice Winslow trade, right? I mean, the Celtics yep. wanted, you know, and who knows how many protections were on all those picks and all that kind of, like, we're never going to exactly know what was on, what was involved in that deal. But the Celtics wanted to trade a few first-round picks for Justice Winslow, who is a nice player, but is certainly not a star. Um, yeah. And, and, you know, that's just one of several twists in the road that if they'd gone the other way, that Boston would be in a very different position than it is now. And, and look, I, I still think, I still think it's fair to wonder exactly what position Boston is in now, right? I mean, the last month, you know, the, the Celtics have really fallen off a cliff. People are are quick to say that it's because of the schedule, but it also could just be that this team was, you know, kind of on an unbelievable streak to start the year of playing way above its head, winning a lot of games that probably shouldn't have won. I think they're I think they're what seven and seven in games they were down by ten or more points, right? Yeah, like they crazy, which is crazy. I mean, they've had some unbelievable comebacks during that streak. Um, their defense was out of its mind. It's, their rebounding was was way above what I think anybody expected. Now that's all kind of shifted back to reality, and and they've struggled a little bit. Um, but we'll, we'll get more into that in a minute. Um, let's talk about the summer. This this was always the summer everybody targeted in Boston, right? They had another pick coming from the Brooklyn Nets. They were able to get Jason Tatum after trading down and and, and giving up a chance to get Markel Fultz. Uh, yeah. So let, let's start there. When what what has kind of been uh what what has been your thoughts on Jason Tatum over these first couple of months cuz he's really uh he's really had a heck of a, a start to his career particularly when compared with everything that's happened with Markel in uh in Philly that kid is an absolute stud the the amount of things he can do at 19 years old and be completely comfortable with it like he has every move he he can hit you in the post he can He's 
one of the top three-point shooters. Maybe I, I didn't check the stats today, but he's been leading the league in three-point shooting a lot of the year. He can go off the bounce. He can take bigger guys off the dribble. He's got an incredible handle. His arms are super long. He defends. He rebounds. Like this, this kid at 19, it's ridiculous how much he can do and how complete his skill set is. And he's just kind of wiped away all doubts that people had about him before the draft. If you talk to people before the draft, nobody was convinced he was going to be an NBA three-point shooter right away. And people wondered, you know, can he fit into a team concept? And if anything, he's kind of fit into a team concept too much. The Celtics are trying to get him to kind of be more aggressive, looking for his shot, looking for his opportunities, because he's been so efficient. So Jason Tatum has exceeded all expectations. He's having, really, when you look at it, one of the best 19-year-old seasons anybody has ever had in the NBA. Uh, when when you consider the fact that he's starting for a, a team that's currently at the top of the Eastern Conference and he's doing it with so much efficiency inside and outside the arc, he's just really, really impressive talent. Yeah, I mean, the thing I want to wait and see is what happens when the three-point shooting dips a little bit, right? Because, I mean, he's shooting 49% from three on three attempts a game. I Maybe he'll just continue to do that forever and be one of the greatest two-point shooters of all time, but my guess is it's probably going to drop some. Uh, and I, I'm curious to see what happens then. But look, there's a little doubt that he has been uh, he has been really terrific. And, you know, again, it, you know, with, with Gordon Hayward out, uh, he stepped up and played well. And also, it, again, it, it goes back to the whole Markel Fultz thing, right, that the, the Celtics moved on from potentially taking him and drafting a, uh, drafting a, you know, drafting drafted Tatum, getting an extra pick in next year, either this year or next year's draft too. Um, but you had kind of a this is this is a little off topic, but you have kind of an interesting, uh, not more not kind of an interesting. You have a fascinating uh, tie to Markel Fultz uh, that you wrote about recently. That I, I know this is a little far afield, but you know, obviously this the Fultz thing has kind of become a, a huge story over the last couple months as his shot is gone haywire and he's disappeared for a while um can you can you kind of walk people through uh the story you wrote about about his current health situation and how how it relates back to you yeah so when i was a freshman in college i started i dealt with well tell tell the people tell the people first pump yourself up a little bit where you went to school and what you were doing (laughs) don't just make it seem like you were just hanging out at college I was a freshman at Skidmore College. I was on one of the worst NCAA basketball teams. In the <laughs> we ended up finishing 2-22, and 22 and I rarely played. So I used to tell people I was the worst college basketball player in the country. Um, <laughs> but, but, yeah, so I went through some shoulder issues, and, and it was almost exactly what Mark Hill Fultz has dealt with. And I'm not sure of, of some of the details. I, everything that – the Sixers have released in the whole timeline and the confusion at the start, everything seems to echo exactly what I experienced. So one day it was just like soreness started coming to me and I couldn't, couldn't shoot. And shooting was literally the only thing it impacted. I could not lift my arms straight up. And it was only that one path, like the shooting path where you, you bring your arm straight up. If, if I wanted to lift it up to the side, I could do that. Like if I wanted to like throw something and it was in a I was lifting my arm in a different direction I could do that it was literally just that one shooting direction that I couldn't do and so I went to a couple of doctors one told me it was a bicep issue it was not a bicep issue Uh, another gave me a cortisone shot that didn't really help too much they didn't really know what was going on it wasn't until I went to my mom's physical therapist 
that he's like, I've seen this before. Um, you have some scapular imbalance, which is what the Sixers announced Fultz had, and it's caused impingement in your shoulder. And honestly, the the rehab was like super easy. It was two months of basically like like the electric band exercises, and that was it. I didn't have to do anything else. It wasn't super intense. It was just I had to work on muscles, um, strengthening muscles around the shoulder to kind of get back that scapular balance that most people have that I just didn't have. And over time, you know, my my movement all came back, but I kept playing, and I was. It, it really hurt me. Like, I, I'm telling you, I, I could not lift my arm up to shoot. It was just like Fultz. Like, I was, my shot was warped. I, I couldn't couldn't do it. And so when he went through it, so many people are freaking out. And I'm like, this is exactly what happened to me. And I came back, and I was completely fine. I, I've never had an issue since. Like, not a single issue with my shoulder since that. I've, I've been able to do everything with it since then. And, and not the, the fact that I'm a professional athlete, but it literally has not ever once hurt me since then so to me like Fultz is going to be completely fine totally fine as long as it is the same thing I had which it really seems to be yeah I mean I I wanted you to bring that up because you know especially because it relates back to the Celtics um that has been kind of a a popular topic of discussion right that the South all the Celtics you know Danny Ainge has completely destroyed the Sixers Marco Fultz is never going to play (laughs) in the league and that's not to rip Danny Ainge at all just I think people should understand that you know, there's at least a decent chance that this isn't Markel Fultz being a crazy person and that this is some kind of cover-up for him getting the yips and he's never going to play in the NBA again, right? That, that yeah. it's very obvious. It's, it's, it, you know, if you, if you look at this situation, yes, it's super weird, but there's also, like, here's evidence of somebody that went through it and is fine now. And if Markel Fultz can come back and, like you, never has an issue with this again, then he probably is going to be a stud player and you know, it's not going to look so insane that the Sixers made that swap for him in the first place. Yeah, and, and you could tell the way he played at the start of the season. It was it was really – he wouldn't even shoot threes. Like, he was a guy who shot 40-something percent from the arc last season. Yep. I watched so much film on him because the Celtics were – They I won the lottery, right. Number one. And uh, he's a stud. I'm, I'm, I'm convinced he's going to be a many-time all-star once he gets healthy. Yeah, me too. I, I think he's going to be really good. But I, I just wanted to – I'm going to link to that, that – uh, story wrote about this in the in the the podcast uh, the post to go with this pl- podcast. I just wanted you to kind of walk people through that because I thought it was really fascinating. And we talked about it before you wrote it. Um, but let, let's shift ahead to this team now. I, uh, you know, obviously last year's run was great. Then Isaiah gets hurt. He gets traded. The the Celtics bring in Kyrie Irving. You mentioned earlier how the the city's kind of fallen in love with this team in the wake of the Gordon Hayward injury and um, you know the the run they went on. Um, how is how is uh, Kyrie kind of taken to being the man in Boston, and, and what is that what has that experience been like both for uh, for the franchise and for the fans there trying to replace a guy that everybody really loved in Isaiah? It's funny because he approaches things very differently than Isaiah did. Like Isaiah loved being the man, and he loved all the attention. He loved when fans would come up to him. He loved everything that came with being a star. And I think Kyrie's been through it long enough that it's not like he hates it, but he doesn't treat it with the same, like, adoration, I guess, Isaiah does. Um, and that's not saying it's bad for either way. It's just, it's just they're, they're two very different people. Um, but, yeah, Ky- Kyrie has stepped in. And really, from, from a standpoint of trying to fit in basketball-wise and 
trying to listen to the coaching and kind of change his game after years of being alongside LeBron, years of being in Cleveland's often isolation system. He's had to, he's really had to change, and right. I think I think a lot of it is just he's doing the same things in a different environment with different things being asked of him. But he's he's been very amenable to everything the Celtics have asked him to do, and you know I I, I would I would. I would think he's probably having the best defensive season of his career, and he hasn't been great defensively, but he hasn't been like a huge minus either, which is which is a big deal for the Celtics. So he's he's been really good. He's he's stepped right in and he's given them everything they needed. The last couple months too, his shooting has just been on another level. Like it it kind of feels like when Isaiah went through that run last year where he averaged like thirty three points for a couple months. Kyrie hasn't had quite that volume of scoring, but the efficiency he's doing it with is just outrageous lately. Yeah, I mean he's that's that's the one thing he's always been able to do, right? I mean he he's always been you know say whatever you want about Kyrie, he's always been a pure scorer. And I mean you look at him now, he's shooting forty nine percent from the field, shooting forty one percent from three. Um, he's averaging twenty four a game. I mean the other numbers aren't a ton different from the past, but yeah. um, but look if, if he's going to be that efficient for them, I mean you know that's that's what they need. And, and they've kind of, you know, slotted him right back in. They're, they're kind of in the same place they were last year with Gordon Hayward out. And they, they, you know, we've slotted right into that Isaiah role. And for the, for the most part, he's really been successful with it. Now, before, before we go, a couple questions, Wick, where do the, do the Celtics win the Eastern conference regular season in terms of getting the one seat again? I think they will. Yeah, I, I would guess. Yes. Just because they have a cushion right now, their schedule from a standpoint of games played lightens up over the second half of the season. I, I know they'll be playing, tougher teams tougher opponents uh but I, I think the rest will really help um and then getting marcus morris back i think will help uh so yeah i i would guess they they do win the east in the regular season and then it's like last year again where they get into the playoffs and it's still the Cavs who are the favorites and it's still the Cavs who are going to win but i would guess yes they win the, the regular season and then what happens when they get to the playoffs I I I need the Cavs Celtics series, man. I need Kyrie versus Isaiah. I need Kyrie versus LeBron. I I need to see that happen. But I I do think the Cavs are still the best team in the Eastern Conference, and especially if Isaiah Thomas is anything close to the Isaiah Thomas he was last season. They they still have LeBron. They're deeper than they were last season. Um, with if Isaiah comes back and he can give them that dynamic score their offense is going to be outrageous. They're like third or fourth in offense right now, and some of their shooters like Jay Crowder haven't even started shooting yet. So put Isaiah in the mix, and wow, 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 wow. That could be an explosive team. So I, I still think they're number one. I still think, too, the Raptors and Wizards are right there. I think the Bucks could be a threat. Like it's, it's kind of like last year, I think, where you have the Cavaliers who are the favorite who people think may have vulnerabilities. Maybe they do have vulnerabilities, but they still have LeBron. And then there are a bunch of other teams that are kind of vying for that second spot. And I think the Celtics are among those, maybe the favorite among those, but there, there are definitely other teams in that mix. Yeah, no, I, I think that's true. I mean, to me, it's, it's the, the Cavs and everybody else. And I think depending on matchups, it could go a lot of different ways. You could have the Celtics, you know, kind of do what they did last year and win a couple close series and, and make it to the conference finals. You could have them lose in the first or second round, depending on the matchup. Uh, I don't think that's a knock on them. It's just I think the the East has gotten better, and it is kind of a weird mix. I mean, 
Like, what if they played Detroit in the first round, right? I mean, they've already had a couple slugfests with Detroit. Like, that could that could be a series that goes six or seven games. Uh, you mentioned Toronto, Washington. Milwaukee would have the best player in the series. That's always an interesting thing. Uh, Philly could be a weird team to play in the playoffs. If they manage to get there with Embiid and Simmons, if they get Markel playing by then, if they add somebody at the deadline. I mean, there's a lot, there's a lot of stuff that could happen. Um, and then, then one final thing. Uh, do you see this team adding another superstar before next season? Before next season, no, no. I, I so think you think? So you think next season they largely have the same team, including and plus maybe another high pick if they get lucky in the the draft lottery. Yeah, I think that's the way the the front office is looking at it. I think they're looking at Kyrie, Jalen, Jason, uh, Hayward, and Horford are their starting five. Unless you can get an upgrade on one of those guys, and it's, it's going to take a lot to upgrade one of those guys. Like you need a really good player to upgrade one of those guys. Um, then. Then you move forward with that that group, and I do think at some at some point they'll try to trade Horford for a younger guy. Um, obviously, Anthony Davis is the name that makes a lot of sense because the Pelicans right don't really have much of a, an elite future, and things are tough over there. And he's already grumbling about it a little bit, um, but he still has several years left on his contract. Like that's not a decision New Orleans has to make right away. Right. That's not something I think is, is imminent or going to ha- need to happen this summer. I think New Orleans will try as much as they can to keep Anthony Davis around. So maybe Anthony Davis happens in the future. Maybe, maybe not, but I don't think it's something that'll happen this summer. Yeah, no, I, I, I think you're right. And, and look, if the Pelicans make the playoffs, I, you know, if they offer DeMarcus Cousins five, five year max deal, I still think he probably stays there. And if, if he stays there, then they're definitely not going to trade Anthony Davis until they have to because they'll have those two guys and they'll think they could build it around him. So, um, but but I, I do think the one thing we've we've learned is that Danny Age is never going to be shy about making a big move. And, uh, you know, I don't, I, don't think, sure. I don't think on August 1st we would have thought that he was going to trade Isaiah Thomas or Kyrie Irving. And by, a, you know, a month later he'd done that. So, uh, you know, if there's any team that's going to stun us by making a swing nobody thinks – is coming it's it's going to be your team so uh with that i'll let you get to the game you got to cover tonight but thanks uh thanks as always my man for doing this and uh and have a good new year and in the meantime uh let people know where they can follow you and if you've got anything coming up here that you want to uh to plug follow me on twitter at by j king read my stuff at masslive.com slash celtics listen to my stuff at the locked on celtics podcast and i got nothing interesting coming up man i never <laughs> <laughs> follow me but don't bother following me because i have nothing interesting coming well that, that that is that is false but uh but i appreciate your modesty so th- thanks for doing this man and I'll, I'll hopefully see you soon yeah thanks for having me my man take care all right next up is bill orham from the southern california news group Appreciate you doing this, Bill, and especially in a busy uh, holiday season. 2017, uh, even though was the first half of it uh, was kind of defined by the the Lakers tanking to try to keep their draft pick and then miraculously doing so thanks in part to a five-game winning streak no one wanted at the end of the season, uh, I think it's safe to say that 2017 has been dominated by uh, for the Lakers by Lonzo Ball and LeVar Ball. Uh, so I, I guess from, from your standpoint – as someone who's around that team every day, what has it been like being in the middle of the, uh, the you know, the ball family circus that has captivated not just the NBA, but, you know, kind of general, the general public as a whole? Yeah, Tim, it's, it's kind of crazy. I mean, when you think about the fact that, you know, a year ago, LeVar Ball was 
was you know on, on the sidelines at Poly Pavilion saying that Lonzo was going to be a Laker, and here we are. Um, and he not only is a Laker, but is you know probably one of the most scrutinized players in the NBA, despite having only 31 games under his belt. It's pretty it's pretty remarkable. Um, you know, the Lavar Circus is its own is its own kind of machine, and we've actually gotten a little bit of a respite from it the last week or two because, as he's kind of uh, preparing for his other two sons to go play in Lithuania, of all things, which is definitely not something anyone was predicting a year ago. But, um, <laughs> I mean, it's been nonstop. And, you know, if you'd asked me you know, a couple months ago, I would have said that 2017 for the Lakers was dominated by Magic Johnson and Rob Palinka, um, who, you know, I mean, this was already one of the most dramatic years in Lakers history with the ouster of Jim Buss and Mitch Kupchak, which, while people saw it coming, was still, um, you know, pretty pretty um pretty startling when and when it happened in the manner in which it happened but lavar ball has kind of become like you said the dominant figure around the lakers uh, with you know a headline a day seemingly and and constantly um doing something that ropes his son into it i mean it was a couple just a week ago that you know he went to espn and said that he was going to start his own professional basketball league and well you might say well, what does that have to do with the lakers well I mean, his kid, Lonzo, is the logo for this league. He's the silhouetted <laughs> logo of this like, pro basketball league. So it's every, everything comes back to Lonzo and LeVar with the Lakers. It's, it's nuts. It, it really, it really, really is. I mean, it, it's, been, uh, it, it's been remarkable to kind of watch this whole, uh, this whole circus unfold over the last few months. And what, what is your take on, on Lonzo, the player, now that you've gotten a chance to see him up close for a couple of months? Well, I mean, look, it's it's really been a pretty dramatic um, roller coaster with the way he was shooting the ball early on, and we were talking about him being the worst three point shooter in NBA history uh, in the first month of the season. To suddenly, he's been able to stroke it pretty pretty well um, the last the last couple of weeks. Now he's hurt, um, you know, but one one thing that's been a constant is the way he you know pushes the ball for the Lakers and the way that you know they really have kind of linked their their new identity to him the way they want to play is um kind of perfect for lonzo ball which is keep the ball moving um not a lot of offensive sets not even a ton of pick and roll just a lot of a lot of motion and passing and and it's it's actually worked pretty well i mean i know that they're they're as of now they're at 11 wins uh you know which is they're basically on the same pace for the same record as as last season when they won 26 games but um the way they are playing, the fact they are in games, I mean, it's it's much more encouraging than a year ago. And I look at their loss to Memphis uh, two days after Christmas, and that was um, a really discouraging loss. But if you look at the way the Lakers were playing, it was all isolation. And I felt like that was kind of the night, and I wrote this in the Orange County Register and our 11 sister newspapers, um, I wrote I, you know, that that was the game to me that really underscored how much they miss Lonzo Ball when he's not out there and and what he actually does for them. And Luke Walton said it after the game. He said for everybody who was concerned about the way he was shooting the ball early in the season, that's why we said we're not that concerned about the way he's shooting it because of whatever everything else he does um, makes such a difference for them. And I thought that was just really noticeable against the Grizzlies. Yeah, no, I think that's true. I think, you know, uh, like a lot of things now, right, people just decided that they knew everything they needed to know about Lonzo Ball uh, after a month. And, you know, believe it or not, his career didn't end after a month. It was only just starting. And, you know, the fact that he's played much better in December, uh, you know, I think he's going to end up being perfectly fine as a player. Uh, the shot obviously is going to be interesting to see how it tracks over the over the rest of the season and, and going forward because it is kind of a weird motion. But, look, guys like Kevin Martin had super weird motions too, and they became terrific shooters and were really effective longtime NBA players. And if he can, if he can do that, 
The rest of his game, there's already no question about what he can do. He's good in passing lanes. He's a terrific passer. Uh, good in passing lanes on defense, a terrific passer on offense, a really good rebounder. Um, guys have liked playing with him forever for a reason. Um, I think that stuff is going to work out. The other rookie, though, Kyle Kuzma, has become, you know, the as we've joked about privately, the clear favorite of Kobe Bryant and the uh, the favorite of Laker Nation as he is uh, kind of stunningly burst out of the scene as a guy who didn't really ever shoot the ball great in college. And ever since he got drafted and really even went to the combine in May, he's become a lights-out three-point shooter and is kind of the, the definition of a stretch four in today's NBA. Um, how, how real do you think the Kyle Kuzma thing is? And, you know, did the Lakers, you know, find a guy they can really consider a true piece of their foundation going forward with the 27th pick in the draft this year? I mean, I, I, I think so. I, I don't see really any reason not to believe in, in what he's been able to accomplish. I mean, he's done it against, he's done it against the Warriors and the Rockets. He's done it against, um, LeBron James. I mean, the, the matchups have not mattered. He has, he has gone toe to toe with some of the best players in the league, the best teams in the league, and 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 filled it up. I mean, what we have seen is he's a guy who can absolutely score the ball. Now he is not the prototypical player you would imagine for this Lonzo Ball offense, right? Like with you know, in terms of like keeping the ball moving and 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 looking for the next pass. There's I mean, a reason. A, there's a reason. Isolation score. There's a reason Kobe loves him, right? Well, exactly. And, it, it's, <laughs> and, and you and I talked about this before too. There's a reason Lonzo Ball's favorite player is LeBron James. Yes. Who is who is not an isolation scorer? Yes. Who is a team first guy who it's often said would prefer to make a game winning assist than a game winning shot. And there's a reason and, Kyle Kuzma is out Kobe Bryant. <laughs> exactly. I mean, the the the, 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 the he has that same um, sort of mentality, and it's yes. been ingrained in him. I mean, we saw. I mentioned that Memphis loss. He was. He finished like four of twenty-four from the field. Four for twenty-four and, overall, and one for eleven from three. And I mean, what was what was Kobe Bryant's <laughs> mantra? You know, I, I, why if I, why would I stop shooting after I missed the first thirteen? Because the next thirteen can go in, or right, whatever. I mean, right, it's, right. It's, it's 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 the exact same mindset. So so we've seen that Kyle Kuzma is that sort of a player now. You know, I suppose down the road you could imagine that that becomes more like, you know, a, a sixth man type gunner. But it does seem like his game is more complete than that. Um, you know, he's not like a Lou Williams in a in a stretch force body. He is a, you know, he does he does defend a little bit and he does he does um, he can play make a little bit. Although I hate when people say play make like that. It's it's you're either a playmaker or you make plays. But but um, <laughs> for the for the basketball people, he does play make a little bit. And and I think I think that. I mean, the Lakers look at him now as, you know, as a as a true member of you know kind of a, a, a core core of young players, or as I've called them, the baby big three, um, with with Ingram and 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 Lonzo. And I think you know a year ago we were talking about the Lakers, you know, core three or four players being Julius Randle, D'Angelo Russell, maybe Avica Zubats. And well, a year ago, I mean, a year ago, or even eight months ago, right? It was Ingram, Russell, and Randle, and Russell's right, been exactly. traded. Russell's been traded. Randall is clearly on the way out, and and in Ingram, in many ways, may be the third guy in that group now. Man, but Ingram has been really good this year. The way he the way he has developed this year, it hasn't been as startling as Kuzma's emergence, but that gradual growth in his game that you started to see kind of um, periodically last year is is, is a night to night thing um, this season, and that's been and that's been per- perhaps one of the most encouraging developments for the Lakers is that. Brandon Ingram is becoming the player they always promised he was going to be. And I do think, by the way, that that is a and it kind of a, a just a, a subtle reminder about Lonzo Ball that, you know, you can you can be a little slow out of the gates and you can be you can struggle kind of early in your career and still and still become uh, 
you know, a really, really good NBA player. Ingram's obviously not all the way there yet. He's still sure. 20 years old. But it is a reminder that, you know, it, the first month or two months of the se- of your rookie season, like you said, um, does not establish who you're going to be for your entire career. Sure, and I, I still am not convinced that Ingram is going to be a superstar. But you look at what he's doing this year. Um, he's gotten closer to league average shooting the ball from three. His numbers are up across the board. He's playing more minutes. He's more efficient. Um Still has some, still has some holes, but but at least looks like he's tracking now to at least being a a very solid to to very good NBA player. Which look, if you if you are able to get a guy that is in that range, even with the second pick, that's a good pick. Like I've said before, if he becomes Otto Porter for them or Tayshawn Prince for them, that's a really good pick. Like it might not be the Kevin Durant that people saw in him because he's got the same body type. And and look, maybe he still will become a superstar. But even if even if he just tracks to becoming a very solid to very good NBA pro, to go with Kuzma, to go with uh, Lonzo Ball, um, you know, if you're playing in LA and you have three solid to good to very good young players, it's not like you're in Milwaukee or Memphis or Oklahoma City where you're not going to be able to get guys to come there as free agents. Like the Lakers, right. if they have the right foundation in place, guys are going to definitely want to come play with them in the future. Yeah, I think I think you're absolutely right, and I, I think that the the Lakers remain higher on Brandon Ingram than kind of that the, the, those concerns sure. you made. Sure, but if but but your point is well taken. If he becomes a you know an 18 point a night scorer who you know can can defend a little bit, but isn't going to be an all star, um, you know that is still part of a foundation that that you can actually sell to free agents as opposed to um, you know trying to just sell specific exclusively on on their past which is which is the Lakers' number one commodity by the way that is they they trade almost exclusively on their past then as we as we saw with the whole Kobe Bryant thing over the past week with him getting two jerseys retired and then having the uh, the team city jersey uh really just a Kobe jersey instead of a city jersey oh do we have time to, to dive into that <laughs> we can we can talk we can talk about Kobe if you want for a minute that is yeah, part of 2017 <laughs> it is. It is. It is. It is. Um, it is amazing that barely 18 months after Kobe Bryant retired, we are getting almost the second Kobe Bryant farewell tour. Um, the 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 two jerseys, like you mentioned, and then just a week after that, the City Edition jersey designed by Kobe Bryant in tribute to Kobe Bryant, uh, in, in the likeness of Kobe Bryant. It's uh, it's it's pretty it's pretty incredible. And, and look, a lot of people around the Lakers are really excited about it, and a lot of people around the Lakers are a little exhausted by it. As, I think it just kind of it just kind of comes down to whether or not you subscribe to the, the Kobe Bryant um, is the greatest of all time and and there is no such thing as too much Kobe as right. I think many people in the Lakers organization believe. Right. Or if you think maybe uh, it's time to to, to turn the page. At, both of those are perfectly acceptable things at, to believe. As Luke Walton said, the night of Kobe Bryant's press conference and was the basis of my column that night, the next chapter, for uh, parentheses for me, for us, is coming out of the darkness of the Kobe era. There are very few teams that have lost a superstar like Kobe and stayed on top. The Lakers have not emerged from the Kobe era yet, and it's going to take the true emergence of a star for them to do that at some point, whether it's Lonzo Ball, whether it's Brandon Ingram, whether it's Kyle Kuzma, whether it's uh, some free agent they'd sign or some guy they trade for, it's Kobe's going to hang over this thing until there's somebody to fill the, the space. And yeah, to now, nobody's filled the space. Yeah, and it's, it's unlike anything we've ever seen because there's never been an organization really that is so accustomed to having at least one superstar at all times. Um, and, you know, I mean, 
I, I, I guess you could go back to the mid '90s when the Lakers were rebuilding a little bit, and that's really basically the only time in the last 50 years that that's been but the even case. Then they, but even then, they were, you know, I mean, the, the 2005-2006 season, obviously, they were garbage, but they still had Kobe. They had Kobe. Um, but if you go back to the mid '90s, I mean, after after Magic, you know, at Magic suddenly retired, and then you had kind of those few years. They had the Nick Van Exel, um, Eddie Jones, Eldon Campbell teams that way, were okay. Eddie Jones and Nick Van Exel were all stars. Right, right, it's like, right. It's not like they were. It's not like they were, you know, hot garbage. I mean, did Cedric Sabalos have an All Star year in there? By the way, like, he might have for the he might have for the for the Suns. I mean, look that the look this this. There's a reason the past five years have been the worst five years since the team moved to L.A. In 1960, right? Like they've they basically never been bad from the moment they got to LA until now. I have, just, I have a question though. I have a question for you, Tim. Because I sure. got an email from a reader today. Okay. Who who asked me to stop gushing about the current Lakers because they are losers and they keep losing. Stop gushing you, about them. Interesting. Yeah, and I don't think I've gushed exactly. But okay, would would you say that the Lakers are better this year and a team? worth being excited about if you're a fan. I think that the Lakers have been so atrocious the past few years that just being mildly interesting is such a huge step forward that I can understand the optimism. Uh, and, I, and I think that they are starting to put together a core that actually could turn into something. So I understand the reasons for optimism. Plus, there also is the LeBron James thing hanging over this, which we'll get to in a second. Um, but... Yeah, I mean, look, I think if you want to look at it the other way, you could say that, uh, you know, Kyle Kuzma, we'll see what he's like by the end of the season, but he's played two months. Uh, Lonzo Ball has obviously had one good month and one bad month. We'll see where he's at in a few months. And Brandon Ingram is still a below-average shooter and has a below-average PER. So, you know, like, yeah, like there, you can nitpick at it if you want, but I do think that at least compared to last year when it looked like they were just hopelessly lost, at least now it looks like they've got two or three guys you could point to and say that looks like a real core for the future, which they have been spending the last five years trying to build, and so far I've not been able to. And um, this is, by the way, the same reader who in an email, in the same email, said the Lakers need to get a decent coach like Vinny Testaverde based on what he did with the Clippers. Ah, okay, so there we go. We have a clearly learned, uh, clearly learned fan here. Uh, so we'll, we'll, uh, we'll, we'll leave the, uh, the Vinny Testaverde uh, Vinny Testaverde to his retirement from being quarterback in the NFL, and we'll move on to uh, to free agency this summer. A couple quick questions about 2018 before we go. Everybody obviously knows the Lakers want to strike it big in free agency this summer. Uh, will they get at least one of the major stars that hits the market this summer in free agency? Yes or no? I, be- I believe they will. Which one do you think they get most likely? I think they have the best shot at Paul George, and then I think they have to make a decision about whether or not they also want to spend max money on DeMarcus Cousins. I think if, if, if they get two max players, those are the two most likely to come. So do you, do what would you, would you say it's most likely they get one, two or none? I think it's most likely they get one. So you think they get Paul? That's my, that's my, that's my hunch. I don't oh. think things have gone well enough in Oklahoma city to convince him to, to commit long-term there. What happens? What do you think happens if they get none? Well, one, it's going to it's going to paint this this Magic Johnson, Rob Palinka era in a little bit of a different light. Um, that I mean, that said, I think that the young core has been good enough where you can where you can say we we have a standard for which we're willing to spend our money. This this cap space we've pres- preserved, and and we're not going to go spend it on the Luol Dangs and Mozgovs of the world like our panicky predecessors. We have a very specific plan, and if it doesn't come to fruition, we'll continue to develop. You know, you maybe you, you lock up Julius Randle, maybe maybe you decide to, to spend the money to keep him. 
in kind of that backup five role that he's really thrived in. Maybe that looks like a maybe that looks like a qualifying offer just to keep him for one more year. Um, but I, I think I think um, I think I think there, the, the, the alternative of growing organically, it, one, is the way most teams have to rebuild. And two is not is not the worst thing because you do have time um, in terms of the trajectory of these kids careers. I mean, Brandon Ingram still 20. Lonzo Ball is still 20. Right. Kyle Kuzma is 22. Um, Avita Zubats, who, by the way, they still think can really play, is is 20. So it's it, there's real. It, it doesn't. It's not this year or nothing. It's just probably this year or nothing with whether or not you're ever going to get LeBron or if you know Paul George truly is going to come home. Right. Um, but but you know what? We've been doing this for so many years now, and I've seen so many um, off seasons pinned entirely on a single free agent that that if the Lakers continue to think that that is the, their only way out of this, they'll never get out of this. They need they, they need to recognize that the, that the alternative is also a reasonable path forward. It just takes long. Well, and that and that's really kind of my question is if if the Lakers strike out on those three guys because I think those are the three main guys they can get. Do you do you see them panicking or do you see them rolling it over for a year? I see. I I I think that there is there are that Magic Johnson, Rob Palinka, and kind of everybody else there in the front office is this is new enough for them that they are early enough in their tenure that they wouldn't be as hasty as Jim and Mitch were at the end of their tenure when they felt like they had to make a splash to save their jobs. At this point, that's been proven not to work. I think they would roll it over, maybe try to fill in some you know, some veterans on reasonable contracts and wait a year and get better and try to make the playoffs with these young players in another year. Like I would try to assemble a playoff roster next year but not overspend to do it. Yeah. I, would, I, I think you could do it. I think you could be competitive for the eighth seed. And at some point, the Lakers have to recognize that being the eighth seed is progress and that you that – becoming going from the la- the worst team in the league to the best team in the league because you add two superstars at once you know is is hard to pull off and and so if they can't do that then they need to get excited about the idea of okay we're going to fill in some some good veterans around these players who are going to help us make the playoffs well in a league where there's not much cap space if you can't get the big fish and you over you know you spend a little bit more to get to get guys to sign one-year deals instead of signing mm-hmm. multi-year deals you could probably get some pretty good players to fill out your roster doing that Absolutely, and I mean, we saw them try that with Contavious Caldwell Pope this year. I mean, that hasn't gone especially well, um, but but um, but that's the idea, though. That's the that's the idea. Overspend on a one year deal to get somebody who you know needs to, who probably has a little something to prove, and also who can help you in the short term. Yep, absolutely. Nope, that'll be uh, that'll be interesting to monitor. So, all right, man. Thanks, uh, thanks for doing this. Before you go, though, let people know where they can follow you on Twitter and uh, let them know uh, if you got anything worth uh, looking at coming up here. Uh, yeah, at Bill Orem on, on Twitter and Instagram for cute pictures of my kid. And then just obviously the, the, the circus that is the Lakers every day. Uh, OCregister.com is the best place to see it. But any of the uh, other 11 newspapers in the Southern California News Group will get it done for you also. And you can follow Bill for plenty of terrible punts. I've, I've been trying to cut back. <laughs> you haven't. That's a false. <laughs> That's false. Uh, all right, man. Th- thanks for this. And I will, uh, I'll see you soon. Okay, thanks a lot. All right, next up is Sam Amick from USA Today. Uh, excellent national NBA writer for them. Thanks for doing this, Sam. I appreciate it. Obviously, pretty wild year. 2017 in the NBA, Warriors win again. Uh, million trades. Uh, really interesting draft class. A lot of stuff that's gone on. As you look back over the 12 months in the league, what, what stands out to you as, as the, uh, the biggest takeaway? Oh, I mean, there's a ton. And I know you're going to get into all this stuff, Timmy, but 
if I had to pick one and it's not easy, uh, I'm probably going to go with the Chris Paul move to Houston. It's not that I definitely thought that Chris was coming back to the Clippers, but for one, if I'm being honest, when Kyrie got traded in the Isaiah Thomas deal, I was actually uh, on the Hawaiian Islands, so that one didn't resonate as much with me, and that's the, the human part of our jobs. We're like, I wasn't necessarily plugged in when that one happened, but with Chris, you know, we're coming up on free agency and we're getting ready to, you know, conceivably track what he's thinking, who he's going to meet with, you know, or is he going to opt out, you know, what's going on there? Uh, and it just kind of came out of nowhere, and it was obviously early heading into free agency. So uh, James Harden getting help, the, the subtext there, where James had such a hard time against San Antonio in the playoffs, and and you just kind of didn't know what direction that group was going in, and and now to see, and I know Chris is hurt right now, but you know when he's been on the floor, how spectacular they've been, and what they could be at their best with him, you know that's probably the, the first one for me. And what what I mean, you spent a lot of time around that Rockets team uh, over the last few months, and, and you know what what has been your biggest takeaway in terms of what their ceiling could be in. Uh, you know what what they look like now that they have this this new group together. Even though Chris has been kind of in the lineup with injuries, yeah, I mean his health is going to be big, and there's been a couple of different injuries, and so that'll be he's he's not a, a spring chicken anymore. He's been doing this a long time. So can he stay healthy? First of all, second of all, you know I'm impressed because for a guy in Chris who was accused during his time with the Clippers of rubbing different teammates the wrong way. You know, maybe not setting the the most productive tone for the culture, and then on the way out criticizing the Clippers' culture. You know, I mean, that's all in the past. So the, the Houston chapter so far with him, he is not only playing at a high level on the floor, but seems to have had a real strong impact in the locker room when it comes to their defensive fabric and their identity and, and the commitment collectively to have that be a priority. And we all know the narrative on the Rockets these past couple of years. They score at a historic level, and then they are you know mediocre at best defensively. And it's certainly not just Chris. They go get P.J. Tucker, Luke Mamabute, mm-hmm. uh, you know, Clint Capella, guys like that. You've got defensive players. You've got Jeff Bizdelic, I think, creating a nice you know synergy and, and pairing with Mike D'Antoni on the coaching staff. Jeff runs their defense. That, to me, uh, you know, Chris's health, and are they going to keep defending those are the biggest things in terms of that, that bigger question of can they push the Warriors because, you know, they've fallen off a little bit recently. We've seen the defense, you know, not be what it was early. So I think that's what we're going to be tracking. Yeah, no, I, I think I think the defense in particular is the thing that, that I'm going to be looking at even more than them because they've been top 10 in the, in the league in defense this year. And if they can be anything close to that all year long, you know, you got to think that they're going to be – um, they're going to be a factor. And the other thing that I'm curious about, too, with them is just they've had a million injuries. I mean, Clint Capella, who's been incredible and I think really underrated this year, has already missed a bunch of time. Um, you, you you know, you look at guys like Luke Bob Mute's out with a shoulder injury. Chris Chris has been in and out. They're playing Trevor Ariza a ton of minutes. He's an older right. guy now. Does he fall apart? Um, I think that whole situation is interesting. But, um, you know, you, you just look at the you, – you look at kind of the hierarchy in the West and – you know, it, it is going to be really interesting kind of just to look at that whole group because not only do you have Houston, you have San Antonio that's been uh, – that's survived without Kawhi. Now you have the Thunder playing better. You know, Minnesota just lost Jeff Teague for a while, but that injury wasn't as bad as, as it was initially feared to be. And, um, you know, that's a team that, that, that looks like it's got a lot of firepower. Um, and, and, you know, Houston is really – kind of built up for for this to be a big year for them and to try to make a push and make the Western Conference Finals, maybe be in the in the mix for LeBron. And, uh, you know, Chris Paul's obviously never made a Conference Finals, 
this is this may be his best chance to do that. Um, you know, there's a lot of there's a lot of stuff at play there that's going to make the next six months or so really interesting for them. Hundred percent. I mean, to your point, Tim, about the defense. You know, and I just saw the Cavs lose to Sacramento last night. And so I was breaking down the Cavs situation. And, you know, you had heard in recent weeks that that defense had gotten better. They had a better stretch. Well, I go look at it, and here are the Cavs still 28th in defensive rating, you know, in a, in a, in a team uh, whose offense is not as good as the Rockets. So that, to me, like the Rockets and the Cavs are an interesting comparison because the same goal of taking down the Warriors, right? Right. Well, you, you got a, an offense uh, with the Rockets that is superior to Cleveland's. And you got a defense that is far superior. It's not even close. And, and that, to me, is the power of what the Rockets could be. Like you said, top 10 is a good barometer. They wanted to get there last year. They didn't get there. Uh, I talked to P.J. Tucker earlier in the year about how you know he's pushing, along with Chris Paul, for them to be top five. They, you know, they don't want to settle for top 10. Right. If they get anywhere in that neighborhood, that's going to be huge. No, it really, it really will be. It might be the thing that, that determines you know, just what their ceiling is. Now, you... Um, you you obviously live in Sacramento. You mentioned you were at the, the Cavs uh, Kings game last night. You've been around that team for a really long time. Obviously, a seminal moment for them this year. One of the big moments of the year was Boogie Cousins getting traded during the All Star game. Uh, a, a move that actually led to a, a rule change in that the NBA is now no longer is no longer going to have the trade deadline after the All Star game, which is great for us because we can actually have a break. <laughs> and it's also it's also taken away the potential drama of having a player. Uh, having what happened at the All-Star game when he got traded and Chris Clark had to tell him after the game, the Kings PR guy who's a good good guy and a friend of ours that uh, had to get in the scrum and tell DeMarcus he was about to be traded and uh, right. so he was aware of it. Um, so it, it, as somebody who's been around that team and in that market, um, kind of what what was it like to see him finally see that situation which had been brewing for years kind of finally resolve itself and where where do you see both sides of that equation now that we've had you know, several months to kind of let the dust settle on it. Um, I mean, I feel like the jury is, is still out on both sides. I'm mean, on the DeMarcus side. You got a, a Pelicans team that it shows promise uh, and, and has moments, but then, you know, they're hovering around 500 and then it, it's, it's a tough thing to, you know, a process. And I think analyze and criticize between him and Anthony Davis, because conceivably, you know, their numbers together are really good. And, uh, you know, and so you can't you can't really argue they don't fit. But then the collective success isn't there. And, and, you know, they're trying to make it work. So you've got a ton on the line for a Pelicans team that, you know, you always have rumblings about the ownership future and what's going to happen there in the bigger picture. And, and to me, the Marcus, is, you know, it really is kind of like a game of Jenga where, you know, he's got free agency this summer. So, you know, if he does not resign and then the ripple effect on Anthony Davis and his level of satisfaction with that new Orleans situation. And then mm-hmm. again, the bigger picture of what happens with the Pelicans, they need value on this team. You know what I mean? And, and DeMarcus is a, a huge value and Anthony is as well. Um, but, but you know, the jury is still out, you know, on the King side, you know, I'm having to go back and remind myself what they ended up getting. I mean, buddy Hill, you know, a serviceable player and a guy that is still part of their plans, you know, and, and Tyreek obviously has now moved on to, uh, to Memphis, you know, and Langston Galloway is gone. That first, remind me, who did that first wind up being uh, in that deal? Uh, they drafted, uh, now I'm blanking. Uh, they, they got, uh, oh, they turned it into, uh, they traded down. It ended up being Zach Collins, but they traded down and got uh, Harry Giles and, uh, yeah, they and ju- Justin Jackson. Right. Right. 
So Justin's in the rotation, has some good moments, and Harry, this is a story for another day, but, you know, he's they've obviously decided to keep him on the shelf even though he's essentially healthy now, but they are still pretty fired up about who he can become. So, so they could have Donovan Mitchell. Yeah, and they don't. that's a fair point. You know, <laughs> that's what you, you could say that for a few teams there, including the team, frankly, that uh, traded up to draft Zach Collins, who I think couldn't be a decent player, but... Uh, you know, there's there's gonna be a few teams in that mix. You know, the the Jazz were just in Oakland last night, and I saw them. And they're whether it's Detroit, who kind of went back and forth and ended up taking Luke Kennard, who again I think has been solid. I think it's gonna be fine. And uh, you know, Malik Monk went 11th. Both those teams kind of went back and forth on Mitchell and ended up going the other way. Uh, right. And you know, Mitchell's been awfully, awfully good. He has, he has, but he is. I mean, in fairness to everybody who didn't pick him, he's he's just gonna be one of those guys that. You wind up looking back, and and sure. anybody, you know, anybody. Uh, I mean, really. So he goes thirteenth overall. I mean, I don't know where you start the uh, the criticism clock, so to speak. You know, is it around four? <laughs> it might uh, be five? the way it goes. If it goes a certain way, it could end up being at one. <laughs> right, right. That's a fair point. Yeah, absolutely. So uh, jury's out. We shall see. You know, the Kings. They've had a weird year. Um, you know, eleven. I guess twelve and twenty-two at this point. And some some pretty surprising wins along the way. I think you were there that night when they smashed Oklahoma City at home. Yeah, they they won two. Who did they? They beat somebody else that week too. I can't remember now. Uh, they but they won they won two games in a row against uh, against weird opponents. Vince Carter goes for twenty five twenty four last night. Becomes the second oldest guy to score that many points in a game other than Kareem. <laughs> they've had a they've had a very strange season. Yeah, I mean, they almost beat Cleveland in Cleveland, and I'm trying to cheat here and, and look at some I'm of looking, wins. I'm looking it up right now because I want to remember because yeah. I was at well, both those got, games. Yeah, All right, they beat the little, Sixers. Uh, they, beat the, they beat the Thunder and Sixers in back-to-back games at home. They beat the Warriors at home. That's right, beat the Warriors. Yeah. Right. They, they've had a, they, beat, they, beat, they won at, at uh, New Orleans against DeMarcus. Uh, right. They beat Philly both times. Uh, they beat Cleveland. I mean, I mean they're they're twelve and twenty two and probably arguably should be six and twenty eight. <laughs> yeah, yep, yep, yep. By the way, as an aside, that Vince Carter show out was one of my favorite parts of the year. Since we're doing highlights, uh, it was a lot of fun. I mean, twenty four points for a guy who uh, came in, I think, averaging two point nine. I think he had scored like you know low twenties over the course of the previous month combined, and and all of a sudden he's drawing double teams in the post. And, hitting bombs from the left corner. Uh, it was it was pretty wild to see him get hot. It was pretty cool. Yeah, he scored 81 points on the season <laughs> after last night. He scored 24 I mean, last night. And it didn't matter. They're throwing LeBron at him. They're throwing everybody at him. Um, you know, they, that double that I mentioned in the post, I forget who came to get him, but he not only drew the double, but he throws a right-handed behind-the-back pass to uh, George Hill, who was on the block. And, and then George kicks it out to Garrett Temple for a deep three. Garrett fumbles it, and it was it was kind of a fun moment because you could tell that Vince's teammates they they wanted like plays like that because they knew how rare they were and how special they were. Like Garrett really wanted to hit that shot, so he fumbles it. He's able to corral it, get it back, and he just hits this monster three, and everybody's having a good time. I mean, those are the joys of a rebuilding team in terms of the the rare moments throughout the course of the season when. You just have a good time, and you get to kind of forget about the standings. It was kind of cool. Yeah, no, no, no question, uh, no question about it, no question about it at all. Now, um, it, going back to to kind of a broader a broader lens on things, um, you know, what, when you we just talked about Demarcus, but uh, are there going to be any long term ripple effects from this summer and the amount of guys 
uh, that were moved in because it, it it does it does seem like that was a pretty big anomaly to have you know I think I think it was seven guys who've been all stars uh, either traded or or signed with new teams. I mean it, it just it was it felt like a real sea change across the league in terms of you know and maybe it was just a blip. But do do you see any long term ramifications from from the amount of player movement we had this summer, especially among these elite level guys? Yeah, I think no question. I just don't see how. I mean, there's just you know, it's indisputable. There's going to be less movement as a result of guys having already, you know, at least attempted to, to fix their situation. Some of these guys obviously were traded, you know, outside their will. But you know, Chris's situation going to Houston, he forced that deal. Kyrie going to Boston, he forced that deal. Uh, and so, uh, well, it I all comes. It all comes back to these guys taking ownership of their situations in ways they really haven't before, right? I mean, no that's just, yeah. it's kind of just the, the building on, you know, Duran and LeBron and, and LaMarcus and Dwight and these guys before, like now it just feels like if you're a star player in the league more than ever before, you have the, you have the wherewithal to, to create a new situation for yourself if you choose to. And you have to be creative and you have to be, and this is not said with an ounce of judgment. Cause I give those guys credit for, I mean, they, they have every right to, to be content, to be happy, to play where they want to play. I think there is a certain way to do it, but like, I think it requires a level of shamelessness. Meaning that if you're, you know, if you're Chris Paul, you you don't have to. You kind of compartmentalize whatever guilt might be there that, that you're going to walk into Doc Rivers' office, Lawrence Frank's office, and say, "Here's the deal: if you don't give me what I want, then I'm going to opt uh, out and I'll sign with Houston." And so, essentially, I, you know, I now am smart enough to know that negotiation-wise, uh, there is a way I can play this to where I'm in complete control. And Chris's situation is the kind of thing that I guarantee other players and star players. I mean, it's kind of a, you know, it's kind of a player movement one-on-one, one-on-one textbook type move that it's a a whole lot more nuanced than, okay, I'm an unrestricted free agent this summer and now I get to go where I want. You hear players talk a lot about how they always qualify it. You know, we make a ton of money. We're lucky to be here, but we also work to get here. Um, But that the only time throughout the course of a career that, that you are in control is when you finally hit free agency. And I think, you know, they're finding other, again, more creative ways to, to have that not be the case and, and get where they want to go. Yeah, no, that's been, uh, yeah, to me, that's that's been one of the enduring legacies of this year is just to see the number of guys that have that have changed teams and, and like you said, taken ownership of their situations. Like the Chris Paul thing, like you said, it really does stand out because here's a guy, you know, going into free agency, I think it's safe to say the Spurs really thought they had a good shot at him and kind of based their, you know, that's why Paul Gasol opted out. Like they kind of set themselves up to make a run at Chris Paul. And then before they even get a chance to, like you said, Chris goes to uh, the Clippers front office and says, hey, look, I'm going to leave. But if you want, let's swing a trade and do it now. And they say, sure, okay. And they get some stuff back for him and he leaves and, you know, just kind of blows up the paradigm of what normally happens in that spot. Whereas the guy opts out, goes to free agency, signs a new deal, and then, like, you figure out how to make it happen then as opposed to before then saying, hey, all right, I'll opt in, uh, you know, and let's get this done now. I mean, to me, moves, like you said, the creativity of these guys and the way they are paying attention to everything that's happening around the league, um, it, it really it really has put the league in a spot where, you know, these guys can, can really dictate where they want to go instead of these teams now, you know, instead of in the past where it was teams kind of, positioning themselves to make a run at a player. Now it almost feels like it's the other way around where a player can say, Hey, I want to come here. How are you guys going to make this happen? And then teams have to try to figure it out on the back end. For sure. And I mean, in, in our backyard to me, still the best example of what you're talking about 
is Andre Iguodala with the Warriors. You know, this wasn't really happening on the regular until Andre, you know, he hits free agency. He sees the Warriors as a team that he thinks he'd fit in really well with. They don't have the cap room. Yep. Uh, his agent at the time, Rob Palenka, <laughs> now the Lakers GM, calls the Warriors and says, what do you think? And Bob Myers, the Warriors GM, has you know, been real candid saying at first he's going, hey, Andre, great player, but I'm not really sure what you want me to do here. And next thing you know, they're moving pieces. They do that trade with Utah, create room, and, and Andre, it, you know, is kind of the it's, if there's a will, there's a way type approach, and it works. And, you know, you've seen guys do it, and, and again, I think we'll, we'll keep seeing it happen quite a bit going forward. Yeah, no, I, I definitely uh, I definitely think that's true. Um, the other thing that was interesting about this year was that there were no coaches fired, and then we got within the first month of this season, there were already a couple. Um, right. How many more guys do you think are going to get run between now and the end of the season? Oh, interesting question. Um, I mean, it, it, one of the unique situations where I don't see anything happening, is, um, you know, you got Charlotte really struggling, but Steve Clifford with his health situation – Steven Silas trying to fit in. I think, you know, if, if there was no health situation and the slide had reached this point, then I think, you know, you'd start to wonder about uh, about Cliff, even though, you know, tremendous reputation, um, you know, but when losses pile up, that's just what happens. Uh, but I don't see that happening. I look at Denver. I know you and I have talked a little bit about that. Uh, when they got off to a slow start, you know, you, you kind of wondered. Mike Malone is such a hard-driving coach. You know, again, very good coach, but you hear rumblings about is that wearing thin with different guys? Well, you know, you look up and now there's six in the West with a 19 and 16 mark, and that's pretty significant pro- uh, progress from their recent history. So I think the pressure gets relieved there. Um, you know, Rick Carlisle's not going anywhere in Dallas. Uh, the, the Memphis, you know, the Grizzlies already made their move. Luke Walden's fine. You know, Dave, I don't think Dave Yeager's in any trouble. So I'm not seeing a, a big one. I mean, Quinn Snyder's got every reason in the world not only to feel good about his job in Utah because he's got a great rapport with management, but they've had, you know, health problems galore that justify their situation. So, um, you know, I, I mean, maybe uh, I know I'm rambling here and going through the list, but yeah, you know, I wonder a little bit about Mike Budenholzer in Atlanta. Um, you know, anytime you have a new GM come in like Travis Schlank did, who didn't hire the coach, yeah, I think it's always worth monitoring. Uh, and, and Frank Vogel too, uh, in Orlando, is, is maybe worth monitoring as well, but we shall see. I'll give you four names. I agree with you on Budenholzer, agree with you on Frank Vogel, Brett Brown in Philly, Jason Kidd in Milwaukee. I think those four guys all, for varying reasons, have things to worry about over the next six months. Um, you know, especially- The J. Kidd one, break that down for me a little bit because that's the only one that surprised me. The Brett Brown one, I kind of I recoil a little bit because, I mean, they're going to have a, a riot on their hands from Sixers fans if they do that. I think everything he's been through and by all accounts, the way that he conducts himself, I think you'd have a lot of negative PR from a move like that. I agree with you, but he isn't the guy who was hired by them. That team wants to make the playoffs and they have fallen off a cliff. And, you know, that's, you know, the the one, you know, there isn't necessarily a guy that's sitting there, you know, maybe they could turn to Jim O'Brien, but, um, you know, there's, there's, you know, they're not a clear option, but they're, you know, they're now 15 and 18. Uh, Joel Embiid, you know, has been in and out of the lineup now lately. Uh, we'll see if he plays in the game tonight. This is going to come out Friday. We'll see if he plays Thursday. But, you know, he's he's been in and out, so I think that's something to monitor. Um, you know, but but I just I just I've I've always kind of, I've heard rumblings about that situation. It doesn't, you know, they're two and eight in their last ten. If they fall off a cliff and they don't make the playoffs, I could see that happening. Jason Kidd is just in a fascinating situation in Milwaukee in general. Um, I don't really know where they're going to go 
uh, there. He could be there for five years. He could be gone in two months. I, I think it's, I, I think, you know, with the ownership situation being kind of murky there with the, the transfer in power, with John Horst, who's, you know, basically no one in the league, I shouldn't say no one in the league, no one outside the league had ever heard of until four months ago. And then he became the GM when they couldn't hire a GM. Uh, you know, Justin Zanuck, who's a, a pretty well-respected guy, was, you know, kind of pushed aside for no clear reason. Um, so it's been kind of a strange run there. But look, that team has been up and down. Um, they've had some weird end-of-game situations. Uh, Jason, you know, as a guy I obviously know well from my time in Brooklyn, he wears thin wherever he's been. If you look over the last 25 years, every situation he's been in has ended in a giant inferno and him going somewhere else. Uh, so to me, it's inevitable that that's probably going to happen at some point in Milwaukee and just a matter of when. But I mean, look, that's a team that clearly has expectations for this year, right? They trade for Eric Bledsoe. Uh, they're they're going to hopefully get Jabari back at some point. They have Chris Middleton playing well. Uh, they're they're looking around trying to add some pieces to that team. Uh, right now, they're in seventh in the East. If they finish seventh or eighth in the East and and get you know torched in the first round or they don't make the playoffs, um, you know I think that's a situation where he could he could get sent packing. Um, you know, and I, I but he also could stick around. I mean, I don't know. I just think those four no, guys those four that. guys to me are just the guys that I would look at. You know, because amazingly, Fred Hoiberg has got himself in a position with this street they but the Bulls have been on that I don't think he's in trouble anymore. But uh, yeah. but I think I think the guys you mentioned plus those plus those four guys I think all um, all could be in trouble. And that, that doesn't even get into Doc Rivers who I think, you know, depending on what happens there, that could be a parting of ways too. So um, well, I wasn't. I mean, I, I, I hear you for sure, um, Jay Kid. Um, once you add the, I mean, I guess I wasn't projecting all the way out to the summertime, but once you add playoff disappointment to the equation, then for sure a bunch of these guys might be in trouble. Right. Uh, among them, Doc. I mean, I think Doc is fine through the season. Uh, you know, this summer is in question for sure. I mean, they they don't see any value in making a move during the season, and they still do attach a lot of value to who he is as a coach and what he's done. So they're kind of monitoring things there. But, uh, I mean, that scenario you talk about with Milwaukee, with all the hype, with all the optimism, all the expectation, you know, if if they did bow out in the first round and not look like the team that's going in the right direction, I could see that for sure. And I I believe if he gets fired, I think the number one target there, and this is not a reported thing, so if the blogs hear this and go crazy, this is my personal speculation on the situation. I think that that's a situation where you could see Jeff Van Gundy finally leave the booth. Yeah, interesting. Because uh, those owners are New York guys, and Giannis is there. And right. And, you know, you saw Jeff in the past have interest in the New Orleans job because Anthony Davis was there. And I think that uh, um, I, I could see him I could see him being interested in that job. But we're now going far afield. So let, <laughs> let's, let's wrap up. Um, uh, let's let's wrap up with looking ahead to 2018. Um, what are a couple things that you're kind of looking at over over the next uh, few months? And then I have a couple specific questions. Then we'll go. Um, top of my head, as I'm cheating and looking at the standings, um, the Blazers are the eighth spot right now, and you know they've had some health stuff. Um, you know the the Yerkich deal. I, I you know I, I liked what they did late in the season last year and, and really thought they were going to push to be a five or a six. Uh, but with Yusuf, you know, it, it just hasn't clicked the same way it did late last year. And, you know, they started really strong defensively and then they fell off. So I don't know. I just can't figure out the Blazers and I kind of wonder who they are and where they're going to be. And, and, and Neil O'Shea 
always being one of the more active guys. You know, so leading up to the trade deadline, I think for sure, keep an eye on Neil and, and what he might try to pull off. Um, you know, I'm staying in the West. The the T-Wolves and the Thunder are captivating a lot of my attention when it comes to just, you know, kind of having a different opinion depending on the day that you ask me about how good they can be. And OKC rattles off this stretch where I think now they've won 12 out of 15, you know, playing really good ball, um, you know, relatively mediocre schedule, but still winning games. So, you know, that is interesting. And then Minnesota with Tibbs playing these guys huge minutes, but then Jimmy, you know, Jimmy Butler slash Buckets doing his thing lately. You know, they're interesting. So uh, those are a few of my things. Okay. Uh, a couple quick questions. Where is LeBron James going to be next season? Uh, I, I don't know. For now, for now, I'm going to lean on Cleveland. I'll say he, he stays. Um, I think I think I'm he not, does too. I'm not sold by the Lakers pitch to this point. Uh, I don't see, you know, for one, the cap situation to get two max guys is going to be pretty tricky, and, and Rob Palenka would have to do work, you know, by the deadline uh, to get those wheels in motion very complicated the philadelphia thing you know like you already really highlighted if they were in you know top four in the east and really making noise then that would kind of convince me even more that maybe he would look that direction uh the houston thing that i wrote about a couple weeks ago is is definitely worth monitoring and interesting uh but but cleveland right now king's loss aside you know has been on a really good run looks like a team you know, they can still push the Warriors. And, and, you know, I think the playoff outcome is going to have everything to do with what he does. I still just don't believe LeBron James is giving up the final streak unless he thinks he has a chance to continue it. And I, I think it's going to take a lot for the Lakers in particular to be in a position where they can truly challenge Golden State. And so I think at least for the next year, the most obvious place for me is, is Cleveland. Now, you've, you followed the Paul George situation very closely. Where do you think he is next season? Same thing. You can't. I mean, I'm. I, you know, I hesitate to even handicap it without somebody being able to tell me what they did in the playoffs. You know, right now, they they're doing fine. Well, that's you why. Know, that's why it's a. That's why it's an as of now situation. As we look ahead. No, I. <laughs> I hear you, but it doesn't. A twenty and fifteen on paper. I say he's leaning towards leaving, but knowing the way, and I've talked to him a lot about it. The way he thought about the situation going in, and the idea that he knew it would take a little while. Um, I, you just can't say, you know, I think that he has had, I guess I'll put it this way. There's not enough indication to me that he is, you know, suffocating as a player and feeling as if his, his work life is, you know, satisfying. Like he's allowed to be Paul George somewhat in that environment. His offense has fallen off, uh, but he's defending his tail off. And, and so I don't think that he's already heading for the exit because Russ, is so hard to play with. I think eventually, maybe depending on the outcome, that could be what happens. But you know, they're still finding their way. Where does Demarcus Cousins end up next season? Uh, I'll say in New Orleans. He's got a lot of. Um, okay, sorry, Tim. You got to edit the part out. I had the family leaving me. Oh, you're good. Um, he, I, I'm going to steal this point from our friend and colleague, uh, Mark Spears, of ESPN, who I heard uh, on a Hoops Hype podcast with uh, Alex Kennedy the other day. He made this good point that, that uh, DeMarcus already lost a lot of money by being traded um, in terms of the Mac deal that he could sign going from SAC to New Orleans. And, you know, to not resign with New Orleans potentially could cost him a lot more. And, and I think that he, the, the, the more important question is, I mean, the, the Pelicans don't want to lose him. But just what is that vibe 
at the end of the year between him and the organization because he's been there long enough now that I think they've learned the good and the bad that comes with the Marcus. And I kind of wonder, you know, again, based on outcome, what kind of mood is everybody in when July rolls around? But for those financial reasons and the fact that Anthony Davis, even if you're hovering around 500, is far better than any other player who uh, DeMarcus has ever played with because uh, Isaiah Thomas was not who he is now back then. Um, you know, I think he stays. Yeah, I think he, I think he stays too. Um, that's my uh, personal two cents on it. I think, um, I, I think that he, uh, I, I, I think the caveat to that is if they don't make the playoffs and they clean house, I could see the new regime not necessarily wanting to keep him, uh, given right. everything that comes with him, and maybe then he leaves. But I think if they make the playoffs, I think in the in the regime in place stays there. I think they offer him a five year max, and I think he's there. Um, what, who, who plays, assuming, I, I think you agree with me that the Celtics, this is the last couple, assuming, uh, I assume you think the Warriors win the championship again? Yes. I assume you think they play the Cavs again? Yeah, that's where I'm at. I mean, Boston got everybody's attention so, early. But, right. Yeah. So then, who plays each of those teams in the conference finals? Um, I'm going to still go Warriors-Rockets, and I, I'm not off the Boston train yet. Toronto's been really, really, really good. Um, but but I'll go Cavs Celtics. I think Toronto makes another move and it's the Raptors. But yeah. I but I think I think and I think that I'm hoping that the Rockets play the Thunder in the second round because I think that would be an unbelievable series. Um, and I, I I could see either team winning that. It would go seven and it would be fun. But uh, but yeah, I have a feeling they're it's probably going to be Warriors Thunder, which would be a circus, and then it would be. Warriors Rockets in the conference <laughs> finals. Um, Warriors Thunder in the second round. I mean. Oh, um, I but uh but yeah no that would be that would be fun so all right man this was great i appreciate you stopping by to do it enjoy uh enjoy the rest of 2017 and before you go uh let people know where they can follow you and what uh what you've got going on oh usatoday.com click on that little sports banner and nba uh, or slash nba is all of our coverage myself and uh, and our buddy jeff zilgit trying to do our thing on the league i'm on twitter at, at sam underscore amic <clears throat> and uh and uh, throw a Jeff plug in there too. Add Jeff Z I L L G I T T, and uh, we got to get you back in our pod soon, man. It's been a little while. Yes, let me know. I'm always around. So, uh, thanks, thanks again for doing this, man. And I will, uh, I'll see you soon. All right, sir. Thanks, Tim. All right, thanks to everybody who participated in today's podcast. I don't want to go back through and name everybody because it take another hour, but uh, I appreciate all of their uh, support and friendship and their willingness to do this at, during the holiday season when everybody's busy. Um, thanks to all of you for listening. Uh, please give us a, a five-star rating or review on iTunes or wherever else you get podcasts. It's really appreciated. You can follow me on Twitter at Tim Bontemps. You can follow me on Facebook at Tim Bontemps NBA. You can find uh, my work in the pages of the Washington Post or on our website at washingtonpost.com slash sports. Thank, uh, thanks to Glenn Yoder in the Western States for the theme music for the podcast. Glenn is the NBA editor at the Post. Does a great job. His band is great. A lot of people love their music on the pod. Go support them and, and check their stuff out. Go check out some of our other podcasts too, like Constitutional, Can You Do That? Uh, the Fantasy Football Beat was great all season long for anybody who was trying to compete in their fantasy playoffs. Somebody still has Week 17 stuff coming up. Check them out for that. Um, and also uh, Letters from War, which is a, a great new podcast on on some, some really cool historical stuff that we dug up that I think people really like. 
Thanks again for following along with this podcast throughout 2017. Really appreciate the support. Looking forward to being back in 2018 to do some more stuff for you guys. But until the new year, thanks for listening, and we'll talk to you all soon.